Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of All In. My name is Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Erics. And I'm Seth, the Hero of Time. We've got a great first episode for you guys. There's some big news to get to, and you'll get our take on all of it. In our very first indie showcase, we sit down with Greg Lobanov and chat about Wander Song, his upcoming game Chicory, and which Nintendo franchise he'd like to take on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to All in 100. I am still Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Erics. And after 100 episodes, I am still Seth, the hero of time. We have a massive 100th episode in store for you guys, including a jam-packed news roundup and the triumphant return of our very first special guest. We are so excited that Greg Labanov is coming back to the show to help us celebrate and talk all about Chicory. Yes, we are so happy to have Greg back. But from there, we're finally doing a top five we've wanted to do practically since episode one. We'll be counting down our top five favorite games still on version 1.0.0. And to close out this special 100th episode, we'll be looking back on this journey with you guys, our amazing community. That's right. We love you guys and thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. You're the beating heart. This community is the beating heart of All In and we we would not be where we are without you. 100 episodes in and we're only just getting started. And that's not just hyperbole. We truly mean that. We are just getting started here at All In. The best is yet to come onward and upward. And, you know, typically we like to do something crazy or over the top with these intros, some little skit or some little funny joke. But we just, we thought the intro would be best served just really thanking you. Well, wait, Seth, Seth, do you hear that? Huh? What? Hear what? Off, off in the distance. I, is that... Is that a manticore? Uh, no, 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 no. Stop. No. Bad Eric. We're not doing the manticore. I'm not editing in that sound. What I am doing is rolling out our brand new intro. For the 100th time, it's time to go all in. That's right, everybody. Episode 100. We're finally here. I hope everybody liked that brand new intro tune. Yes. Courtesy of our friend, the Red Panda. That's uh, That was so cool. I'm so glad we were able to do that. The Red Panda, of course, the composer of Tori 2. Yeah, it was really important to us that we start off episode 100 with a bang. And this brand new intro. Oh, I love it so much. Thank you again. Yeah, I, I love it too. Um, Jordan did an awesome job with uh with that intro and i it, it was it was big for us because like don't get don't get us wrong like we we love our old intro we've been using it for well 99 episodes and um and it was great but it, it always kind of bugged us that it wasn't ours you know and and like all the credit in the world to groove cube who made that old intro we we included links in every single solitary episode description all the credit in the world but it was time to have something that was truly ours. So, um, so to Jordan, the Red Panda, who who came in and and composed this completely original intro tune for us to use um, going forward, so special. Just what what a special way to to open up this episode. 
Yeah, and if you want to check him out, this is going to be in the episode description, but if you want to check him out, he's on Twitter at It's the Red Panda. Yeah, definitely show him your love and support. It was actually a good call on your part. You were the one that had the idea to reach out to him because the um because the soundtrack to Tori 2 was was so stellar. So good. Yes, yeah, so good. So, and we knew that he could kind of get the vibes across that we wanted to get across that sort of happy, positive, but still very Nintendo vibe. So we love it. We hope you guys love it too. Um, definitely show your support for the Red Panda. Um, here right at the top of the show, Eric, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to get into. We, I, I believe, yes! I believe we have to give some money away, don't we? Yes. Yes, it's episode 100, as if we haven't said that already, and if we're not going to say it a thousand <laughs> more times during this episode. Yes, but we are going so big. It's not just the new intro. We are giving away, both Seth and I are giving away $100, and we can't wait. We're just going to go ahead and do it right now. Yes, we have got some winners for the giveaway. So the way this giveaway worked, it was on Twitter, and we had the stipulations of, of you know, the typical, you know, like, follow, retweet, tag a friend. Um, and we actually broke it up to one grand prize winner and five first prize winners. So the grand prize winner is going to get two $50 eShop gift cards only, only because Nintendo is weird yeah. and, <laughs> and doesn't have a standard hundred dollar. It's like a $99. It's very it's a odd. 99. It makes no sense. Um, so they're going to get two $50 eShop codes. And then the first prize winners are each going to get a $20 eShop code. So, Eric, why don't you go ahead and announce the grand prize winner for us? The grand prize winner of the $100 giveaway is at Poulet Chicken. I, I think Poulet so. Poulet Chicken? That's got to mean something in French, right? I think so, yeah. <laughs> at Poulet Chicken. I guess they're a, a chef or something. But, yes, you are the winner of the $100 giveaway. Congratulations. And for all the winners... Make sure to tag us in whatever you buy with them. We'd love to see yes. what games you wind up playing, what games you wind up getting with these eShop gift cards. So congrats again to Poulet Chicken, I guess is how you pronounce it. But Seth, who are our first prize winners? The first prize winners are at Neo Sabin, which I don't know if that's like a Dragon Ball thing or what. Um, at <laughs> Danny Gallagher 7. At Geku Kitsune. At Spook. Spuck, Spook. <laughs> four. At Spook, four, I guess. And then at <laughs> Riho, not here, I think is what it is. So um, apologies if we've mispronounced any of that, but you were all first prize winners. You were all getting um, a $20 eShop gift card. And again, please be sure to tag us in that. Hey, you could buy chicory with that. You can buy chicory. You can absolutely, you can absolutely buy chicory with that. And if there's any confusion with any of the winners with our pronunciation, we're going to be posting on Twitter the actual tags and the names of the winners directly after this episode. So make sure to reach out to us for your codes. Double check to make sure you are one of our uh, winners from the episode 100 giveaway. Congrats to the winners again. So happy for you guys. I hope that we have been able to make your May more entertaining yeah play some play some awesome games let us know which games you're playing um and stay tuned as always like we do giveaways as often as we can we love doing giveaways we love just kind of you know 
it's it's obviously a way to get our show in front of people, and that's all great. But we also love just giving back to the community as often as we can, and we we love kind of welp- uh, welcoming people into the All In community and into this this little family that we've made. So um, again, huge congratulations! Thank you guys for participating. Thank you to everybody who participated in the giveaway, and uh, definitely stay tuned for future giveaways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Eric, we've got so much to get into this week. This is going to be a huge episode. What's been going on this week? So for those of you who typically fast forward through when I talk about Marvel and comic (laughs) book stuff, you know who you are, but I think there are people, there was somebody in the discord that was like, Hey, you guys should do like a Marvel podcast. All M. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, if we were doing the hundredth episode this week, this practically would be like a Marvel themed episode. It would have been basically required that we theme this episode around Marvel. Not only is today free comic book day, today is free comic book day, Saturday, May 7th, but this past week on May 4th was the 10th anniversary of the Avengers, right? 10th anniversary of the Avengers. In addition to that, Last night, Doctor Strange premiered all over the world. And I just, I actually, I've seen the movie already. And I just got to say this, because I had a really interesting experience at the movie theater last night when I went to go see it. (laughs) So I went to, I mean, because you have to, I went to go see the 3D version of the movie. Mm -hmm. When it comes to a movie like this, you, you had to see like the big screen 3D version. It wasn't IMAX, but it was, I think AMC calls it like Big D 3D right, or whatever. Right. I'm not even going to ask where they got that naming convention from. But uh, but unfortunately, when the movie started, the 3D wasn't turned on. Oh, wow. So after a couple minutes, somebody went to go let somebody know. And then they, no joke, spent the next 40 minutes messing with the 3D on the movie. That was just part of the uh, multiverse experience. That was just part of the experience there. Ex- exactly, exactly. <laughs> but they messed they messed with the 3D. It was inversed to where everything that was like all the background elements were pushed forward. Whoa. And it was they were actually closer than the characters on the screen. And it looked really bizarre. It was incredibly trippy, which I guess does kind of lend itself to the movie's themes. Yeah. But they messed with it for a full 40 minutes before no joke. After finally getting it right, 40 minutes in, straight up restarted the movie. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So I've seen the first half, almost, well, first third of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I've seen the first third of the movie twice already. (laughs) But, uh, but so, so yeah, that was interesting. But ultimately... I man, I really liked it because I'm a Sam Raimi fan from back in Evil Dead and, and Army of Darkness. And if you're a Sam Raimi fan, you're probably gonna love Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because a lot of the stuff that he uses in Evil Dead and Army of Darkness, a lot of those cinematography tropes and a lot of his techniques, a lot of those do make really interesting returns in this movie. It's like a lot of it is like almost a straight up horror stylized experience to the point where I would even caution bringing young kids to see the movie. Mm. Like there's some stuff that happens in this, like the movie itself, even outside of Sam Raimi's influence, the movie itself is a lot. 
There's a lot that happens in this movie. And I've got to say, there's a lot that can be spoiled. I'm definitely not going to be the one to do it. All I'm going to say is this movie features the single greatest musical callback in the history of the MCU. Wow. Okay. That's that's all I'm going to say. Once you see it, Seth, I will discuss with you. But yeah, the movie is a lot. If you're a Sam Raimi fan, you're absolutely going to love it. If you're a Marvel fan, you're going to... It's I don't think it's top tier Marvel necessarily when stacked up against like the greatest movies in the MCU, like Winter Soldier and and Endgame and stuff like that. But it is a ton of fun. And I wound up getting, for all of our inconvenience and troubles, I wound up getting a free, a, uh, a complimentary movie ticket. So honestly, I think I might just go see it again. The movie was a ton of fun. <laughs> nice. I, I got to see it. I'm, I'm going to have to go see it this weekend for sure. But on top of that, like, that's not it. Just because the universe... I, just because the universe knew it was episode 100 for us this week, it gave me the finale of Moon Knight a few days ago <laughs> as well. Yes. And I, I know you've actually seen it too. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, I, I got a chance to watch it before, uh, before the week was out and uh, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was worried about it going in. I'm not going to lie. Um, mm-hmm. Because like, I, I love WandaVision. Like WandaVision, I think until the final episode, would have been yeah. like it just didn't stick the landing for me like the 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 ending of WandaVision completely just left a bad taste were, in my mouth <laughs> it remembered it was a superhero show yeah. in the final episode and, and it didn't need to and so i was really worried that moon knight was going to do that and it kind of does but i think it that does, they do yeah. it better in moon knight than they did in WandaVision well, I think the reason it, it's better in Moon Knight is because, frankly, the entire show is about DID. Right. And <laughs> especially when you look at episode five versus episode six, it seems like the show itself has DID <laughs> because episodes five and episode six are so wildly different from each other. But still, it was I I mean, yes, I was always going to love it. But yes, I did indeed love it quite a bit. I'm probably going to go back very soon and just rewatch the entire series. I absolutely adored it. The post credit scene uh, like was fist shakingly awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was really the, good. The post credit scene in Moon Knight was, oh, it was so great. I have never been so happy to see Oscar Isaac in a show that prominently features Oscar Isaac. He's so good. Anastasia called the post credit scene, by the way. Like she, yeah. she had been calling that for a long time and, and she was, you should have seen her face when, when it finally happened, she like stood <laughs> out of the chair and she was like, yes, yes. <laughs> like she knew it was coming. I'm not going to spoil what it is, but she had been predicting yeah. it the whole time and was waiting on that to come around. And when it finally did, she freaked <laughs> out. It, yeah, it was great. I'm sure I had a very similar reaction to, uh, to your wife. It was so great. So just between everything just between everything if we weren't doing the 100th episode this week this would have basically had to have been the the marvel episode this week just with everything going on but even outside of that like there's some wrestling stuff that happened this past week that i just want to touch on briefly because it actually has to do with nintendo oh yeah i just just, for those who don't know Stone Cold Steve Austin is apparently a Breath of the Wild fan. That, that was so. I had seen the headline, but you sent me the clip, and it, it is a really yeah. great clip. It's it's so weird. The headline that came out of that clip was, of course, about Stone Cold Steve Austin and Breath of the Wild. But the whole reason that entire thing came up was because 
Uh, Cody Rhodes recently returned to WWE after basically creating WWE's current greatest rival, probably the biggest headline in the wrestling industry this year. And Cody Rhodes went on Stone Cold's Broken Skull Sessions podcast. But the thing is, Cody Rhodes is a huge Nintendo dork. He actually used to wrestle in gear that had the Triforce on it. So the whole thing of you know bringing up Zelda wasn't just a random question. Because the, the question was, <laughs> Stone Cold asked him as part of a like a 30-second lightning round what his favorite Zelda game was. And Cody Rhodes, WWE superstar and probably their next world champion, just immediately, it was Ocarina of Time. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin is like, no, man, Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild's best. <laughs> and to see Cody Rhodes and Stone Cold Steve Austin have this little brief argument about which Zelda game is so wonderfully bizarre. It's genuinely felt like the Twilight Zone for about 15 seconds. Oh, it's delightful. It's delightful. And if there's any uh, WWE promoter that happens to be listening to this episode right now and would like to, uh, we, we would like to formally invite either Steve Austin or Cody Rhodes to come on the show and chat Zelda with us any day of the week, <laughs> any day of the week. <laughs> I would, I would love to have Cody to come on and talk about Ocarina of Time. That would be fantastic. But the second wrestling headline that actually has to do with Nintendo is we finally got some more information on AEW's forthcoming game. We finally have a title for it. It's called AEW Fight Forever. And we got a little bit more footage of a couple of the wrestlers who are going to be included, including uh, Chris Statlander and Nyla Rose, a trans wrestler. Oh, cool. So we got, we actually got some new information. We got the name and we got some new footage for uh, the now named AEW Fight Forever still don't have a date, still don't even really have a tentative year, but they're, I mean, they are continuing to work on it. So hopefully we'll hear some more before too long. And the final thing that I will shout out real quick is after almost a year and a half, the update for Retromania finally launched on Steam. And we should be getting it on the Nintendo Switch here very soon. It's going to include, I think, more story content. It's going to include uh, Dashing Chris Bay as a new wrestler. It's going to include three new arenas. So finally, after more than a year of the game being out, we're finally about to get a massive new content patch for my favorite wrestling game of the past couple console generations. So if you like wrestling-style arcade games, definitely check out Retromania Wrestling. And that new content patch should be coming very soon. But even on top of that, man, what a huge week for entertainment. You had the Met Gala. You had all the Marvel stuff. But even on top of that, we cannot forget this past week was Star Wars week. Oh, of course. May the 4th be with you. Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you as well, Seth. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars Day, of course, huge. And I'm a massive Star Wars fan. I know you and a lot of other people in our community are massive Star Wars fan. I actually wanted to shout out the Mostly Star Wars podcast that just launched. Um, yes, Mostly Martinez. Yeah, Mostly Martinez just launched a, uh, a new Star Wars podcast called the Mostly Star Wars Podcast. And um, the, I, I'm actually going to be going on there at some point in the future. Um, we've been DMing and talking about it because I, I sort of just like coyly, I was like, congratulations, I love Star Wars. Invite me on sometime. And um, <laughs> and, and he DM'd me and, and we've been talking and I'm going to go on that show pretty soon. But um, anyway, speaking of going on shows, I actually went on Retro Groove this past week. 
So be on the lookout for a new episode of Retro Groove that I was on. Retro Groove is the kind of sister show of Retro Logic, which we're, you know, longtime friends with. Um, our, our friend Dan Caparello, who is um, one of the hosts of Retro Logic, his brother Adam co-host Retro Groove, which is kind of a music-based podcast. And you guys know I love music. And um, we had an episode of Retro Groove together. I, I've been on the show before. Um, to talk about Hideki Naganuma in the wake of my Jet Set Radio video back in February, and I've returned this time to talk about Porter Robinson celebrating the first anniversary of his new album Nurture, as well as the um, the the newly announced Second Sky 2022 festival and the uh, the lineup that's being revealed for that and everything. So it was just a great time to talk about Porter. That's probably <laughs> my favorite album of all time. So I was happy to go on Retro Groove and do what's called they call it Expand My Mind. And it's basically just like whenever, you know, they, they don't know a lot about a certain topic, they'll have somebody, you know, come in and, and kind of like educate them on it. And that was me with Porter this week. So be on the lookout for a new episode of Retro Groove with me gushing Porter Robinson. So. <laughs> yeah, you've been you've been pretty busy uh, this past week. Yeah. I mean, I when it comes to like Star Wars week and everything, I did kind of take a little bit of a step back from video games this week. I didn't really play too much video. I've been so head down on everything and especially trying to get episode 100 out. Yeah. But I mean, they finally released all the other character packs for Lego Skywalker. Ahsoka is finally in the game. So I had to go back. I had to go back and, and play with the new characters. I had to play with Ahsoka. I had to play with season two mandalorian i had to play with all those other things but again speaking of star wars week speaking of you being busy you did a little star wars stream didn't you yeah i did um so on may the 4th you know i knew i had to do a star wars related stream i wound up playing um star wars republic commando which um i i'd never played before and i wound up playing that on stream and had a good time with it it actually holds up shockingly well it was pretty cool um you know it's a it's a shooter, a squad-based first-person shooter where you play as a, a squad of clone troopers. And um, yeah, it was good. Streamed that for like three hours on Star Wars Day. It's nice to hear the Switch version holds up. Yeah, holds up perfectly well, runs well. And um, and yeah, it was it was just a lot of fun. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to wind up doing like a full playthrough of that eventually. Um, but I also kind of, in a throwback to the, the sort of original Xbox days on Nintendo Tuesday this week, I did an almost seven hour stream <laughs> and I just played through the entirety of Jet Set Radio Future. Like I just did a full playthrough of the game. I know you really had to have your arm <laughs> twisted behind your back for that one. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I did not come into that stream thinking I was going to play the whole game. Um, <laughs> I came into that stream thinking, okay, like I'm going to play a lot of it, whatever. I'm going to have some fun and just kind of casually play Jet Set Radio. What wound up happening was a lot of the members of the JSRF speedrunning community wound up in my stream because a lot of them were like, look, there are not a lot of people playing this game. You are actually the only person streaming JSRF tonight. So they'll go on there and they've, they follow the game and stuff. So they'll go on there and just watch people play it even on nights when they aren't streaming or running the game. So I wound up with like four or five JSRF runners um, nice. in, in, the, in the chat 
and they were like teaching me little tricks and stuff like that and like teaching me little speed run maneuvers and skips and stuff which was really fun and they were all so friendly and welcoming i was just i felt the whole time i had to like profusely apologize i'm like you guys are seeing some suboptimal jsrf play right now <laughs> so but it was such a wholesome stream man like it was so much fun and and because they just kind of kept me going i really just felt like i had to keep playing and eventually almost 7 hours later you know beat the game and um, it was a lot of fun. That that VOD is up on the uh, the Twitch channel. And, of course, more Xenoblade happening on Twitch as well. I've got new sound alerts on the Twitch channel. So you can spend your channel points, which are awarded just for watching uh, me stream on Twitch. You, you get channel points, and you can now spend them to make sounds play on the stream. So I've got three sound alerts right now. You can spend points to get My Body is Ready from Reggie. <laughs> you can play. Of course. You can play I'm Really Feeling It from Xenoblade and you can play that's Dunban over there. So that's It is Dunban over there. It is it is always Dunban over there. Um so that's been going on. Um I also debuted a new uh, video mini series on our YouTube channel um called Behind Enemy Lines, which was fun. A uh, fun little yes. thing to make. I actually I had the idea for this mini series um, this is just one of the many ideas I had when I was still working my day job full time of like man if I if I could do if I had the time, I I would love to make like a little video mini series where I dig into like obscure Mario lore about Mario enemies because we did that top five like forever ago, and I I loved doing that top five because that's a topic of which I'm very knowledgeable about and something I'm passionate about. So uh, I debuted the first episode about the Goomba. It's about five minutes long. And I'm, I'm very happy with it. I just want these to be very short, bite-sized, five minutes or less, you know, little videos talking about the history and lore briefly of an, you know, a, an either iconic or not so iconic Mario enemy. So, yeah, it's only a five minute video. Watch it and tell me that you didn't learn something new about the Goomba. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really proud of it. I'm really happy with the way it turned out. And I, I think it turned out really well. I'm looking forward to doing more. And of course, if you do watch it, leave a comment on that video and let me know which Mario enemies you want to see me cover next. Cause there is no shortage of enemies that will get uh, a behind enemy lines episode. So that's been going on. I've been playing a lot of switch sports this week. Also, um, just kind of like dealing with the bizarre, you know, upgrade yeah. and unlock path that that game has, <laughs> but having fun, it's a really fun game. See, yeah, the game itself is really fun and you and I enjoy every moment of it, but there are a couple really weird decisions yeah. in the game. Like, Why do there have to be eight people in bowling every time, even if it's just you and me? Why do we have to be joined by six bots who are just taking up lane time? You know, why isn't there a a 1v1 tennis option yet? Why are the unlocks so weird? It's it's really weird because not only like there, there's 1v1 tennis technically, but you have a weird little ghost on the on the court yeah. with you. And then like, but in spite of that, you can't do 2v2 tennis. It just there are a lot of little head scratchers in there. Um, but the core of the game is really fun. All of this is stuff that can be updated and patched. And I hope it yeah. is because the, the core of the game is rock, rock solid. It's not the type of game that we would, that would facilitate a full review here on the show. I don't think, um, no. but you know, <laughs> the narrative, 
<laughs> yeah, Next. Let's, let's talk about the narrative. Let's talk about, you know, so it's not really like like full review status, but Nintendo Switch Sports, really fun, especially if this is the kind of game that you're looking for. Um, the, the mechanics of it, you know, are just as solid as they were back in Wii Sports and Wii Sports Resort. You know, some head scratchers, but still really fun game. I like it a lot. Yeah, some some really obvious things that they can patch in the future, which of course won't make it viable for our top five later on the episode, but there's some really obvious upgrades and updates that they can make in addition to adding golf here soon. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been playing a lot of that though. A lot of like, like I just love going in there and just playing some bowling for, you know, a few minutes. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's just fun. But uh, anyway, we've got a huge episode, man. We've got so much to get into. Dude. We, we should hit some of this, uh, hit some of this news. What do you say? Absolutely. For the 100th time, let's talk about it. Hey, listen! All right, well, we need to start with a follow-up from a previous news story where a contractor brought a lawsuit against Nintendo alleging Nintendo had violated the contractor's constitutional right to unionize uh, and Nintendo alleged they knew nothing about the union and that they had simply let the contractor go for releasing confidential information. Well, in light of that initial report, Cat Bailey from IGN has released a very lengthy article uh, following interviews with other contractors who work at Nintendo of America detailing working conditions and the work environment there and we have a couple thoughts on the article yeah and, and don't get me wrong like i, I don't want to like raise earth over this article i know you and i are on the same page with this we've talked about this a lot privately um and and i and no disrespect at all to cat bailey i love cat bailey i think she's a good journalist i think she um is intelligent i love her on nvc and no disrespect to ign i mean we have friends like rebecca yeah. valentine that work at ign of course and yeah nothing but respect whatever um with that being said I do encourage people, I will leave a link in the episode description to this article so that you guys can read it and formulate your own opinions because um, I do think there's a lot of like misquoting from the article and a lot of like kind of clickbaity headlines that are coming out from the article that are leading people to believe that the information presented is something that it's not. Um, in particular, the, the like there's a quote from Reggie in the article that is being completely misconstrued. Yeah, um, yeah. Reggie's being very very severely misquoted when it comes to this story the big i'm sure a lot of you have already seen the headline of reggie being quoted as saying it's not like that when i was there yeah this is not the nintendo i left i think is the the quote there yeah yeah, yeah reggie begins that quote by saying quote at this point i'm three years retired from nintendo of america and i can't comment on what's going on today within the company end quote that's how he begins that quote before saying, you know, but that, that's not the Nintendo that I left. That's all he was saying in that quote. He does comment on when he was interviewing there that he wound up, they were doing some things when it came to personnel that he wanted to change. And in fact, he did implement those changes. But the big headline that everybody's taking Reggie's quote out of context with is not him digging at the company. It's specifically at the end of a quote that's saying, listen, I've, I haven't been there for three years. I don't know. All I know is that's that's not what was going on when I left. That's all I can say. Yeah. So, so the thrust of this article is, again, about the nature of Nintendo's relationship with its contractors versus 
um, its relationship with its full-time employees. And, you know, the, the entire article um, interviews people, you know, past and present employees at Nintendo and stuff. And it, you know, kind of details the sort of feelings from the contractors that have worked with Nintendo and, and the way that they feel like, um, I, I think they, even one of them, I think says like second-class citizen, you know, kind of feeling. Yeah, and, the term second-class citizen was used a few times. Yeah. And... One in regards to the fact that Nintendo of America uses different color badges, blue, red, and gold, apparently. And I guess some of the contractors didn't feel like they were as important because they didn't have certain badges, despite literally every company on the planet having some type of hierarchy. Right. Well, that that's kind of my, my overall take on this, is that, like, the... The stuff that is brought to light in this in this report is stuff that is standard practice. And, you know, and the argument could be made that, like, you know, yeah, things things should change at the broad level in corporate America or whatever. Or, you know, things things should, should change with the relationship with independent contractors and stuff being hired on as full-time employees, blah, blah, blah. You could argue all of that. But the reality is that a company's hiring practices are completely at the behest of the own company like that like that's that's their prerogative you know and it really does kind of feel to me like nintendo is being spotlighted as this kind of i mean like the the title of the article is inside the growing discontent behind nintendo's fun facade it 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 totally feels like all of the narrative around this is you know this is the family friendly fun this is like the disney of video games like let's let's poke some holes in the bubble, you know that that's kind of the vibe I get from all the narrative going around right now, and and they they've become the easy target or whatever. And like, don't get us wrong, we're Nintendo fans, but we are not afraid to call it as we see it. The second that yeah. there is an actual, you know, with with basis negative story about Nintendo, we are the first to report on it. We dedicated an entire main segment to calling Nintendo out on Joy-Con drift in the light of lawsuits and stuff that were going on. I mean, yeah, Seth and I have a, yeah, when it comes to the Joy-Con, Seth and I are in full agreement that Nintendo has absolutely bungled every stage of that. When it comes to the Nintendo ninjas, I think Seth and I are in full agreement that they are way too uh, happy with their job. When it comes to Nintendo's uh, relationship with the Smash Brothers in the tournament scene, yes. historically, Nintendo has been very bad about that. Like, I have no problem calling Nintendo out for stuff, but when it comes to this specifically... Yeah, we. I mean, we have taken Nintendo to task about all this stuff in the past, and, and we'll continue to do so. But yeah, for, for this, I mean, like, this is standard practice stuff. I mean, like, I don't want to sound insensitive to, you know, the, the contractors that work there with the hopes and dreams of becoming a full-time Nintendo employee, but, like, just like any other contract relationship with any other company on the planet, you're not owed a full-time position in the company and I don't know about you but like when when I work at somewhere and I don't feel like I'm being appreciated properly or if I don't feel like my hard work is paying off the way I want it to I leave you know what I mean and so it it, it just it, it just to me reeks of like a lot of just kind of trying to take something that is happening literally everywhere and and hyper focusing on Nintendo because Nintendo is Nintendo. I mean, this is the company that has got more eyes on it than any other video comp- uh, video game company in the world. Um, 
and and so to me it makes perfect sense that Nintendo doesn't hire outside sources too much. They're not going to bring in too many people into the bubble because Nintendo is so in the public eye. There's so many opportunities for leaks or whatever. That's what the guy that is suing them was fired for. <laughs> you know, releasing confidential information. That's what Nintendo said. And uh, I we don't want anybody to be unhappy. We don't. Of course. Uh, but as somebody who has experience as an employer within this industry, I mean, I can tell you, it's like, you can't, like, I don't, I bent over backwards for my employees and I still had a bunch of employees who would still think that I was shortchanging them. Of course. I had an employee who I fought for them to get a raise and they were the most, they were the highest paid entry level employee I had. And they still felt like, you know, they still even said they were, they were unhappy because I didn't make them the assistant manager over somebody else. Like I had a team of six. I couldn't have six assistant managers. Right. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff to, to consider when it comes to employment. Obviously Reggie talked about uh, hiring, you know, bringing on a lot of contractors as full-time employees. And that may have changed significantly since 2015, since the death of Satoru Wada and the Wii U. And I'm sure there is a lot that has changed within the company. But ultimately, IGN even admits in the article that the restrictions that are placed on Nintendo of America's contractors are commonplace throughout employment, not just within the industry, but throughout employment. They admit that these are normal restrictions that are placed on everybody. And another thing they admit is that Nintendo's turnover rate is almost a third of the industry average. Nintendo has a vastly smaller turnover rate than the industry average. So like, there's just a lot of stuff in there that says to me, there's probably just, there's probably just a few really, discontented employees that don't like being at the ground level. And if you don't like being at the ground level, I understand that, you know, look for every opportunity you have to better yourself, to advance. And if you're not getting that where you are, leave. There's not a doubt in my mind that there are individual employees there that are getting the short end of the stick. Not a doubt in my mind that there are individual employees at NOA that have been severely messed over. Overall though, there's nothing in this article that, says to me that Nintendo deserved to have this massive expose written about them, about how bad of a company they are when they're putting the same restrictions on contractors that everybody else does. And when they have a third of the turnover rate that other companies do, I will admit the employee that they interviewed who was in the call center, who, um, who was managing a team of 13 and uh, had all of these crazy responsibilities on her. Yes, she should have been in a better position. She should have been paid more. She should have been a red badger, as she said. I agree with that. But overall, blanket, there's there's honestly nothing in the article that says that like there's there's mass problems wrong over at Nintendo. If this article and all this stuff coming out about the contractors, if that ultimately leads to bet to a better situation for them, if it ultimately leads to changes happen where they're more happy, yes, good. I'm happy for you. But I I just don't understand why this expose had to be written. 
Yeah. Well, it, it had to be written because it's Nintendo. You know, it's all it's it's just because it's Nintendo. It's because this is the family friendly, put smiles on people's faces company, and and it is it is the giant that makes a loud thud when we see it fall. You know what I mean? Like that is what that that is why this narrative is being told about Nintendo. And again, um, I don't mean any discontent or ill will towards IGN. I think the reporting is. Yeah. I, I do like that Cat reported on some of these more positive figures in, in Nintendo and tried to come at it. At, you know, while still weaving this narrative, did try to put some objective kind of facts in there and stuff. And but but you know, I think that there's a lot of sort of like um, I I think there's a lot of like kind of just not not even just misinformation but just sort of like um narrative being spun around around nintendo because it's nintendo if there were any other company having this sort of expose written about them we would just move on and that's you know just the way it is or whatever but the article is not even calling for um the, the article is not calling for broad industry change as much as it's just like look what's happening at nintendo and if anybody will, again, read the article, we highly recommend, yes. we highly encourage you to read the article and, you know, check it out for yourself. You know, let us know what you think, you know, question us and Kat, if you want to come on the show and, and discuss yeah. it, we, we absolutely would love to have you. Maybe we can put our heads together and find a solution. Maybe we can figure out, you know, a way to move forward. We would absolutely welcome that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would love to have. I, we we like to have the tough conversations. We like to take this stuff seriously. If Cat wants to come on the show, we we'd love to have her. We we'd welcome her with open arms. You guys in the Discord, if you'd like to have this dialogue, um, we we'd yeah. love to chat with you. Absolutely, the door is wide open as far as we're concerned. Yeah, I have a lot of experience from the employer side yeah. of things, but I'm definitely not opposed to hearing more from the employee side of things. Yep. Absolutely. So um, I know that's been going on a lot. Um, that, that's been kind of a huge, you know, point of contention in the Nintendo community this week. So we, we did have to, to stop and talk about that right here at the top of the news. But we've got much more on our plate in the news. <laughs> yeah. Roundup. Yes, we certainly have a lot more to talk about. And going from one story about, you know, discontented uh, employees to another story, frankly, about discontented employees. Last week, we reported on Yuji Naka and his very incendiary series of tweets against former employee Square Enix in the fallout from the Balan Wonderworld fiasco. And he made a lot of remarks and a lot of allegations about Square and his lack of confidence in their leadership and their ability to make sound decisions. And we didn't think that Square was going to officially respond to that, but it turns out they did in the most bizarre way possible, Seth. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I guess it's a, a response. I guess it's sort of, it, depending on uh, from, you know, if we're going to make a Star Wars reference from a certain point of view, um, the, uh, the, the deal that Square Enix made this past week may strengthen Yuji Naka's postulation that Square Enix is less concerned about the quality of their video games. And so what I'm referring to here is just yet another big video game acquisition, um, headline Embracer Group, which is the holding parent company of Gearbox, Saber Interactive, THQ Nordic, and, and many others did acquire several studios and IP from Square Enix this week in a $300 million deal. 
that included Crystal Dynamics, Square Enix Montreal, and Eidos Montreal, also including those studios' combined catalog of IP, which includes things like the Tomb Raider franchise, the Legacy of Kane franchise, Deus Ex, and Thief, as well as over 50 other back catalog IP. So um, $300 million got the Embracer Group, um, three studios, and a ton of IP. And while most of us could never even conceive of having $300 million, it's such a nonsense amount of money that it's just in the realm of, you know, just unthinkable for most of us. I just want you to consider one thing. The first of the Tomb Raider reboots, just the first in that trilogy, just the first game in the Tomb Raider reboot trilogy, sold 14.5 as of the end of 2021 sold 14.5 million copies if each one of those copies sold for an average of just $20 which that was not the retail price of that game if each one of those copies of just that one game sold for an average of $20 that alone is 300 million right there if that puts if that paints a picture of how much of a steal Embracer Group got all of this stuff for. Yeah. So on the flip side of that, because that that series is also made by Crystal Dynamics, of course, who is the developer of the Avengers game, um, which is you know kind of a at this point infamous flop in the in the industry and from all reports there have been reports coming out this week that Square Enix has reportedly lost over 200 million dollars on that game um so you know there's there's some kind of crazy numbers flying around they may feel like and then a lot of this IP is dormant you know Deus Ex is more or less dormant Mankind Divided was the last release of that um Thief basically dormant hasn't had a new release in like 10 plus years legacy of Kane, you know, they're not doing anything with that IP. So $300 million seems, seems like a bit of a steal and, and maybe it is. Um, but you know, like, like they square's not doing anything with tomb Raider either. I mean, I think it kind of just shows more than anything that square is kind of abandoning ship for studios. They haven't really done much with, especially not on switch. I mean, the fact that we didn't even get easy ports of the Tomb Raider reboots on Switch is still kind of mind-boggling to me. Um, and then so, you know, in addition to all of that, Square, in, in their statement, basically was like, well, like, we, we have more money now to focus on things we want to move forward with in the company, including NFTs and blockchain. So That's the thing. That's the thing. The, the Tomb Raider IP alone could have gotten Square Enix $300 million. Just that one IP alone, irrespective of the studios, irrespective of their catalogs, just the Tomb Raider IP alone could have gotten Square Enix $300 million. And not only did they vastly undersell these assets, they're using it to pursue blockchain and NFTs. So... We tried to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt last week when it came to their huge falling out and the fallout of the uh, lawsuit against Yuji Naka. But yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a lot easier to believe a lot of those tweets where he was talking about the poor leadership and decision making there at Square Enix. 
Yeah. Now I will again. I I, I want to play both sides of the street for my part. I do. I do want to give Square Enix credit where credit is due. Square Enix does have a track record of kind of releasing IP, not putting a stranglehold IP on on IP for no reason or on companies for no reason. So good example of this, like several years ago, um, IO Interactive positioned Square Enix saying, hey, there's a direction we want to take the Hitman franchise. We would like the option to buy the Hitman rights from you guys and operate independently. And Square Enix did allow them to do that. Square Enix sold the Hitman IP back to IO Interactive and they released games like Hitman 2 and 3 independently of Square Enix. They now independently own Hitman's an indie game technically now. Um, so, so weird. So like, that's weird. Right. But, but it is kind of interesting that Square Enix is a company that'll allow that kind of stuff to happen. So, you know, I, I don't like that. They're saying like, Hey, this is what we want to spend the money on. You could argue about the undervalue of the deal or whatever, but at least they're willing to kind of, you know, cut these people loose if they feel like the relationship isn't working both ways. And I hope that under the Embracer group, I hope that these people are, you know, willing to let these people make the games they want to make and, you know, utilize some of this back catalog IP effectively in new video games. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Can I get a Legacy of Kane game, please? Yeah, I Can hope get so. get a new Legacy of Kane, please? I hope so. I just... I. I worry about Square Enix's direction because there's already so many reports about the NFT market just absolutely collapsing, just folding in on itself. So, yeah, the Wall Street Journal actually reported, um, I think earlier this week, that it has fallen 92% since last September. Yeah. So Yeah. So eesh, I don't know if Square Enix is the company to, to turn that market around, man. Yeah, I don't think so either. So, I mean, look, this may be a bad decision on, on their part, and it probably... You know, it, it probably says a lot about about them as a company or whatever. But I but I do want to just put that little that little silver lining in there that at least they are willing to to cut the ties and kind of let let the free birds fly because there are several several companies that will just like cradle to the grave, take their IP down with them in flames. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I will give them that at least at least somebody has the opportunity to make new Tomb Raider games, to make new Legacy of Kane games. Now I will say that's maybe a maybe a lesson that Nintendo could learn with a couple of their IPs. Right? Yeah, it's that's what I'm saying. You know, like you know, all credit to Square Enix. They they will do that. So I, I will give them credit there. Can you can you sell Star Tropics to Embracer Group Nintendo? <laughs> so, <laughs> can we do that? So yeah, do something with some of these IPs. So I that, that's yeah that that's just a clear. That's exactly what I mean. But speaking of potentially undervalued major video game company acquisitions. A really interesting story came out this past week from New York City, where New York City itself, they've raised a legal complaint against the purchase of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft on behalf of multiple New York employee retirement and pension funds owning stock in the company, alleging that Activision Blizzard intentionally undersold itself to Microsoft in an attempt to speed up the deal, therefore allowing CEO Bobby Kotick to dodge responsibility and that Kotick, quote, was aware of numerous credible allegations of misconduct by the company's senior executives, but did nothing to address them or prevent further offenses, end quote. So a couple big takeaways from this is that New York City is trying to do its darndest to make sure that Bobby Kotick uh, is held responsible for everything that happened at Activision Blizzard under his watch. And two, the fact that they're alleging that 
far and away the biggest deal in video game history was somehow still underselling. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the almost $70 billion deal was, yeah. uh, was actually a steal for Microsoft, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The only, like, that seems really cheap to us. $70 billion seems really undervalued. Like that's just, I mean, we talk about $300 million being a nonsense amount of money. It is literally over 200 times that amount of money that Microsoft is trying to pay for Activision Blizzard right now. That is, I mean, what is beyond nonsense? Unfathomable. Yeah. Yeah. This is just the latest in what is going to be, I mean, there are going to be dozens of lawsuits that, that spur off of this whole thing, that spur off of Activision Blizzard, that spur off of even the sale. I mean, like every single thing of this is going to be picked apart for probably years to come. Um, yeah. So, I mean, re- regardless of what happens to Bobby Kotick himself, um, I mean, who knows? This all seems, this seems on their assessment of this, I think, is accurate. Um, you know, the, the city of New York saying like, Hey, he was trying to dodge responsibility and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, that, that tracks, you know what I mean? None of this information yeah. is surprising to me. You and know. you and I kind of defeatedly sat here when we were talking about the acquisition, talking about how Bobby Kotick was just going to get a nice little retirement stock fund yeah. and run off into the sunset and not have to deal with anything. It looks like, it looks like New York city is trying to keep that from happening. So more power to them. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate that. I I hope that the people that um, should have to answer for this stuff do, Bobby Kotick yes. included. Um, so so we'll see. But but yeah, this is just. I mean, you're you're going to hear many more stories like this as time goes on. That this is not the end of the Activision Blizzard thing. This is not the end of of uh, Bobby Kotick having to be in a courtroom. Not at all. No doubt. But Seth, I've, let's move on to some more positive stuff. I think we've had enough of lawsuits and <laughs> enough negativity. Enough legal talk. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to something a little bit more positive now. Even though E3 has officially been canceled with, with an almost uh, sadistic amount of relish from Jeff Keighley. <laughs> we now have a date for Summer Game Fest. Summer Game Fest starts June 9th at 11 Eastern. As expected, Jeff has confirmed he will be hosting the main, quote, cross-industry, end quote, show, which will feature game announcements. Day of the Devs was also confirmed to return. So everything we kind of expected looks like uh, we can continue to expect that. But at least now we have a date, June 9th, uh, 11 Eastern, for the main kind of kickoff show for Summer Games Fest. I really hope it's not as disjointed as it was last year. but. What are we kind of expecting from this show, Seth? This is interesting because, um, you know, th- this is happening June 9th. Of course, last week, um, Xbox and Bethesda announced their showcase for June 12th, which mm-hmm. seems to be operating independently from Summer yeah. Game Fest. Um, since that's, you know, days removed, even though it's happening around the same time, like you can assume that those announcements are not going to be taking place at Summer Game Fest. They're going to be taking place during Xbox's own event. And I expect to see um, Sony and Nintendo follow suit. You know, like Nintendo's never operated with Summer Game Fest in the past. They've traditionally operated, you know, they didn't really take part in the last one. Um, I think they showed maybe a couple of trailers of their own, but like no announcements anyway at Summer Game Fest. So I don't really expect to see much from Nintendo here. I think Nintendo's going to do their own thing. Um, I was kind of curious about wh- where Nintendo was going to go with this because like 
Jeff Keighley is trying to make Summer Game Fest this thing that kind of becomes the new E3. And I just don't know that that's what it's... I'm sure there's going to be big announcements here. But, like, that's just not what it's going to be. I think these companies are much more likely to just do their own things. Like Xbox is already doing. And like we can assume Nintendo is going to do. Yeah. Well, when it came to the main show of Summer Game Fest last year, I think there was a single Nintendo Switch logo that entire show. There was a lot that we got, a ton that we were able to take away from Day of the Devs. It was a fantastic showcase for up and coming indie developers and indie games. And there was a lot coming to the Switch from that show. But when it came to the main show, Nintendo last year very much kept their cards very close to the vest. And all of their big announcements came within their E3, their own E3 Direct and their E3 presentation. I maybe, maybe we'll see another one or two Nintendo Switch logos at the main Summer Game Fest show. But I'm kind of expecting another repeat. I am expecting Nintendo to keep all of their big announcements for their own presentation whenever that is. I am, as of this recording, Nintendo has not said when that's going to be. Sony is really the only other major company at this point who hasn't committed to a date yet, who hasn't committed to doing some type of mid-June E3 style presentation. And I've got to wonder why we haven't heard. I mean, it's it's coming up. It's next month. We're a month away, basically, from all this stuff. So I do wonder how much longer Nintendo is going to keep those cards close to the vest on information regarding their own stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I imagine it's going to take place during that same week that everybody else is doing it. Um, I do hope, I, I went back and looked up Nintendo's tweet from last year, and they revealed their E3 presentation, their E3 Direct, and their corresponding Treehouse presentation. They revealed that about a week before that show. Um, yeah, cards so, close to the vest. Yeah, so so I, I kind of expect the same thing. I kind of expect, like, you know late this month early next month maybe the first week of june or something nintendo tweets out hey look forward to this but in terms of their actual presence summer game fest i'm not expecting much um sony's a weird one sony hasn't really played by the same rules of the e3 song and dance for a while i think sony's probably the most likely to show something here um, oh yeah, but uh, but yeah. As as far as Nintendo goes, they're they're gonna do their own thing. I don't expect them to really care to collaborate. I mean, here's the thing: like Jeff Keighley had a relationship with Reggie, you know, like they were yeah. friends, and and are friends, and and like you know, in, in the Reggie era, Nintendo was much more likely to work with Jeff. I I think that that's long and gone. I I, I don't think that you know, I I don't think they care to be involved with Jeff's little summer game fest, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Uh, ultimately, I, I, you and I are still very excited for the Day of the Devs. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, we'll, and we're definitely going to watch the Summer Game Fest kickoff show. But ultimately, I think you, were, you and I are in agreement that we're, we, we, should keep our expe- we should manage our expectations quite a bit for that particular show. Yeah. Just, you know, whatever the next FromSoft game is, we can, you know, we can, exactly, yeah. we can expect we'll that. Get, <laughs> we'll get another Elden Ring trailer. Yeah, just show the same Elden Ring trailer again. We, we can look forward yeah. to that. But, but you know, anyway. We do love you, Jeff. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to watch it. You know, heck, we'll probably live stream it. You know what I mean? And um, mm-hmm. and that'll be good. But anyway, yeah, that's, that's Summer Game Fest happening June 9th, 11 Eastern. So we will see what happens. So there's actually something going on right now 
now over at the Strong Museum, they're celebrating the brand new inductees into the World Video Game Hall of Fame that were announced just a couple days ago. Four brand new games have been inducted into the World Video Game Hall of Fame, including Miss Pac-Man, Dance Dance Revolution, Sid Meier's Civilization, and astoundingly, not already in the Video Game Hall of Fame, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Here's my hot take. Miss Pac-Man is the best game of those four. Just saying. Wow. Just saying. Wow. Miss Pac-Man's oh, better just, than all uh, those games. I, I, I just burned myself on my microphone from that hot take. <laughs> I love Ocarina of Time. I love DDR. But um, but yeah, Miss Pac-Man just is still better than like most of the games releasing today. Sorry. Zelda is your favorite. Yeah franchise right oh yeah of course i no, i love ocarina of time miss pac-man's better just saying so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to defend that stance right now <laughs> miss pac-man is the height of pac-man gameplay it is that's true it, it is just like classic it is the video game video game you know like miss pac-man and, and this is a personal thing too i, I love pac-man i love miss pac-man in particular um i, I think it is more well-designed you know, than Ocarina of Time. Of course, it doesn't have like a story that Ocarina of Time does or whatever. But in terms of like being a video game, I'll take Miss Pac-Man over Ocarina of Time. And I, I love Ocarina of Time. But but yeah, I would I would more readily play Miss Pac-Man than Ocarina of Time any day of the week. Wow. Well, maybe you should stop by the Strong Museum. Apparently, they're doing a bunch <laughs> of cosplay stuff right now. It's just as this episode is going live, I think it ends at 3, 3 Eastern okay. on uh today on uh may 7th but yeah congratulations to the four brand new inductees into the world video game hall of fame i think we can all agree that uh, even dance dance revolution is well deserved it is totally actually that's another little porter robinson um connective <laughs> tissue he got his start making a ddr um uh sound oh no kidding i yeah. didn't know that yeah that's how he started making music was uh was making his own ddr step charts yeah wow that's cool <laughs> that that is a fun fact <laughs> that is a fun fact so this is cool i mean th these games are all games that deserve to be here i think is the main takeaway absolutely Absolutely. There's certainly a lot of games that deserve to be in the Video Game Hall of Fame, and I'm sure that eventually we'll get around to most of them. But yeah, it did still really surprise me that the game that for 25 years has sat atop the best reviewed video games of all time list. Yeah. It astounds me that it took this long to get that game into the World Video Game Hall of Fame, but better late than never. Yeah, man. Better late than never. Cool to see the recognition all around. Shout out to Ocarina of Time. I, I always I always feel bad when I talk like even slightly negatively uh, negatively about Ocarina of Time. I think everybody <laughs> just thinks I hate Ocarina of Time. Like it's a great game, but like I just don't hold it's it no to the Majora's same, mask. you know, heights that everybody else does. <laughs> But all right, we, we do have a cool story, though, to just kind of quickly touch on. This happened um, this past week. We got a kind of like brief, weird Netflix did a trailer for like their upcoming animated series. Um, just kind of like a preview trailer. And in this trailer, we got a very quick look at Sonic Prime, um, the upcoming animated series from Netflix happening at some point later this year. And we actually got not only our first look at what the show is going to look like in motion, we got the debut of Sonic's new voice actor. 
um, which was really cool. Voice actor by the name of Devin Mack. He's a Canadian voice actor that kind of rose to prominence after he was the voice director for yep. Dust and Elysian Tale, um, mm-hmm. which was which so is an plenty awesome of game. experience with anthropomorphic animals. Yeah, no, it's it's a great game though. Like I, I love it. Like, I actually didn't realize the game was on Switch, and um, that that now oh, really. Yeah, I didn't know it was on Switch. I played it on Xbox 360, and I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I think um, a lot of us did. Yeah, so so now that I know that's on Switch, I think I'm gonna have to pick that up. But um, notably, Devin's actually the first person of color to voice Sonic since Jaleel White, like 20 years ago. Yeah, so that's yeah, I cool. love Jaleel White is a personal favorite of mine. It yeah. blew my mind. It it blew my child mind back in the 90s to learn that Steve Urkel was voicing Sonic the Hedgehog. Because it's really hard to oversell just how cool Sonic the Hedgehog was, especially in his first decade. Oh, yeah. It's really hard to oversell how cool Sonic the Hedgehog was. And to know that Steve Urkel was voicing Sonic the Hedgehog, that I couldn't process that like a human child, really. (laughs) That blew my mind. But I, I love Jaleel White's performance as the blue blur. I do too. I mean, to take the quintessential nerd character and for, for that, for that actor to play like the coolest character was, uh, was pretty cool. And yeah, I, I love Julia White also. He's, he's another personal favorite of mine. Um, but so it's, it's really cool. It's cool to see that, that kind of torch being carried forward and, and Devin's been really cool, like on social media too, and very happy and gracious and, um, yeah, just just really cool. I'm I'm happy to see this. I'm looking forward to the show. I think his performance and that little snippet we got. It, yeah, that's that's Sonic. <laughs> you know. Yeah, for just the combined five seconds that we heard him speak, I thought he sounded really good. Both Roger Craig Smith and Ben Schwartz came out and publicly endorsed him and welcomed him into the Sonic the Hedgehog family, which I thought was fantastic. That was so cool. Yeah, yeah. So very excited to see Sonic Prime. Coming later on this year, I I would love, I would love nothing more than for Sonic Prime to come out and be amazing and for Sonic Frontiers to come out and be amazing. Yes, please. Yes, please. So um, we do have kind of one last headline to hit here um, in the news roundup. And and this is another game that, you know, we, we hope comes out and, and is amazing too. Um, we reported last month um, on the, the sad passing of our friend Mohamed Fami. Um, of course, you know, something that, that left us shaken and, and we had a whole conversation about that. We we love and miss Fami dearly. Um, and we kind of speculated, postulated a little bit in that conversation about what was going to happen with Pixelnesia and Fami's work on the upcoming After Love EP, which we spoke to Fami about when we had him on our show back in January. Um so and and we sort of knew that Pixelnesia would would kind of carry the game forward and continue Fami's work and everything, but we didn't know what form that was going to take. We knew that they were going to take a little bit of time to kind of, you know, to to not only mourn but to kind of like you know pick up the pieces and figure out what they were doing from here. Um, so they they did kind of break the silence. Um, this week on Thursday, kind of announcing a development update with a brief statement here that I'll read for you guys. They say, quote, Hello, everyone. As you would be aware, with the sudden tragic passing of our beloved Fummy, it has been a difficult time for the team and everyone involved with After Love EP. We appreciate your love and support. It has been truly overwhelming. 
Although After Love EP was originally slated for release in summer 2022, this has now been delayed. Whilst we're still not quite ready to show anything at this time, we're here today at Ludonericon to provide an update on the game. So, uh, end quote. So, they were at Ludonericon and provided a video uh, for everybody, um, kind of kind of like over the the camera with the new uh, narrative lead on the game who has been taking the reins from Fami's work. Um, her name is Sasha Ariana, and she was apparently very close friends with Fami and was working on the game previously, but now she is sort of stepping into the role that Fami has left behind and, and is carrying his work forward to see the game through to completion. So... Um, we're happy to, we're happy to see that we're, you know, we, we knew that Pixelnesia was, was going to continue on with After Love EP, but, um, we're, we're looking forward to seeing what the game, uh, what the game is when it finally comes out, hopefully still later this year. And, um, and we wish Sasha all the best. She, she's got big shoes to fill. Absolutely. I, I cannot wait to see that game. Please support Pixelnesia. Please support this game as much as you possibly can when it comes out. I mean, regardless of the game's objective quality, I, I'm still going to recommend that people support this studio, support this game. Uh, I mean, I'm going to buy it just for just for the sake of our friend and supporting him and his family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we're going to be talking much more about that game, I'm sure, as we get closer to its release. And I'm really looking forward to seeing. I think it's going to be, regardless of anything, um, just, just like all of... Fami's games. I think regardless of anything, it's it's going to just be a very special piece of art, a very personal, very special piece of art. And I'm so happy that his work is still going to be seen. And I'm so happy that Pixelnesia is, um, is picking up where Fami left off. Yeah, I cannot wait to see this game when it comes out. So and here at the end of the news roundup, we always love to shout out the major releases from this past week, but it almost feels like the video games industry didn't want to get in the way of our 100th episode. <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. I'm sure that's exactly what it was. The only real notable release that we have from this past week that we can shout out is uh, the new the, the new European expansion for Wingspan. We need to get to that eventually. Yeah, we do. When it comes to next week, though, on May 10th, there are a couple very interesting things happening. Shout out to Premium Edition Games that just had their Premium Edition Direct. They announced Series 4. Amazingly, they got Wonderlane, Wonderlane DX yes. from Bitwave Studios. Cannot wait for that. They announced Raji. They announced some really cool games. And on May 10th, pre-orders are going up for Wonderlane DX and for Rain on your parade from Premium Edition Games. Definitely go check them out. But guys, it's been one heck of a week. Obviously, we want to know your thoughts on all of it. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at All In Podcast. Join the conversation. Join our community over on Discord. Also, check out YouTube.com slash All In Podcast, Twitch.tv slash All In Podcast. And of course, 100 episodes in the podcast itself, which you can like, follow, and subscribe to over on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and so many other other places and guys if you enjoy the podcast if you like the show and you want to tell the whole world about it you know what you can do you can drop some words on itunes on podchaser and on audible you can leave us written reviews with your five-star rating and on spotify you can drop a five-star rating there too and um we we just super appreciate anytime you guys do that we show our appreciation by shouting out your review 
at the top of the show, um, right there at the very beginning. And uh, we, the, your support means the world to us. It's really the best way we have to uh, to get our show in front of other people. So it really means the world to us. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much. You all mean the world to us. Uh, we just want to thank you all for hanging out with us each and every Saturday for 100 weeks in a row now and making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. Namaste indeed, Eric. And, you know, speaking of things that meant the world to us, it really meant the world to us when Greg Lobanov agreed to come on our very first episode before we were anybody. Mm-hmm. Greg Lobanov, the creative mind behind Wander Song at the time, uh, agreed to come on our show. And since then, um, he's he's been a little bit busy. Since then, he released a little game called Chicory, a colorful tale, which we have talked about incessantly on this show. <laughs> yes. Um, and we were very, very happy to say that Greg has come back to celebrate episode 100 with us. Our first guest coming back 99 episodes later. Ladies and gentlemen, we are so incredibly blessed and excited to have a very special guest with us here for all in episode 100. Hundred. He was the very first guest we ever had on our show way, way back in episode one and making his triumphant return back to the show. He is the BAFTA award winning, but most importantly, Golden Ace award winning <laughs> video game developer, ladies and gentlemen, Greg Lobanov. Yay! <laughs> wow. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Yes. It's been a couple of years. June 2020, the last time you were with us. Wow. So, uh, have you been up to anything since then? <laughs> well, uh, I got a dog. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I, uh, I made a game called uh, Chicory Colorful Tale. Uh, oh, oh, that little nugget. Never heard of it. Yeah. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it must have been pretty good. Yeah. You two been good? Congratulations. 100 episodes? Oh, well, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, we've Thanks been so much. It's been one heck of a grind, I'll say that. But yes, we're very, very excited. Uh, certainly didn't. The last time we talked to you, this certainly wasn't even in uh, in our on our long term goals. But yeah, here we are, episode one hundred. And again, thank you so much for coming back to the show to help us celebrate this. Yeah, I'm 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 really glad to be here, and I'm I'm very honored to be here for the hundredth episode. I feel like if I if I started a podcast, I probably would have quit before I got to like twenty. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's not easy, man. But I mean, like that that was so. I mean, we can't stress enough how important and, and meaningful that was to us that you came on for literally our first episode when we were actually yeah. nobody. Yeah, and here when we this are. show was just barely a glint in our eyes. You decided to come right. on, spend your time, and that meant a lot to us. So yeah. Yeah, we we will never forget that. We just we super appreciate that, and what what an honor it is to have you back uh, here in a post chicory world. I mean, we were when we first uh, talked to you, chicory wasn't out yet, and there wasn't a whole lot that you could say. But now it's like we've played the absolute mess out of it. We've been hyped about <laughs> it. We've had post mortems on it. I'm working on a video essay for it. It's like it's it's finally out there, and we can kind of talk about the game freely. And um, we're we're really excited, man. Yeah, yeah. So what what's been the the your reaction to just kind of the reception? Because there's been so many outlets, so many people saying it's one of the best games of 2021. Superlative this, superlative that, and of course, like we <laughs> just said, BAFTA award winning. You were nominated at the Game Awards, despite the fact they misspelled your name. <laughs> uh, but but in general, like, what's the reception to Chicory been like for you? 
uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty hard to make sense of it on some level because it, I, you know, it's, I mean, you, you it, it's very similar to me to Wonder Song, like the the game is, you know, like it was very personal. It was a small team. It was me and my friends. We made a thing together, um, and I was really shocked at how how much like impact and spread this this game seemed to have because it it still feels to me like something that. I don't know. <laughs> like when we're in an, in an award category, you know, up against like Mario Party, and and we beat them, it's like I, I just don't know how that makes sense. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I'm I'm really really honored, and and I mean, it's heartwarming to know too that like so many people um, really connected with like the themes and and story and message of the game. Because um, now there's a lot of stuff in there that felt very very specific, you know, to me and and people on the team's experience. Like it didn't really feel like it was a game for everybody, and yet. We're finding that, like, you know, everybody kind of has some way to relate with, you know, like what the story is about. And that's really cool. Like that, there's something affirming to learn that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, it's just really special. It's really cool. Um, but, you know, I still feel like I'm, I'm just a guy just making games in my room. So <laughs> <laughs> that was actually I wanted to ask you about that, actually, specifically, since, since you brought it up. I mean chicory's story in general i mean it, it may have felt to you when you were working on it writing it coming up with these characters that this is a very like specific personal thing but i mean yeah it's so human and relatable in spite of all these characters being you know animals um it's very human and relatable um is there i, I kind of was curious if there is any one character that you related to the most if there is one that you kind of latch on to personally or if you kind of just sprinkled yourself through a bunch of different characters uh it there's no there's no one-to-one i mean i I am literally in the game as like a dog so i guess that one yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah like like nothing nothing in the game is one-to-one with like a real experience and like no there's no character in there that i could say like is definitely me i I relate strongly to aspects of yeah basically everybody Gotcha. That that's actually something too. We talked about this actually the first time we had you on the show. Um, we we kind of talked about that kind of blank slate, the the ability for the character when we talked about Wander Song, the character mm-hmm. of the bard to kind of like imprint the player's own expression and the importance of that to the game design. And with Chicory, you've kind of elevated that concept even further. I mean, not just with the main characters of the game, like the the entire core concept of the game from like painting the world around you to placing the decor and all the rest. I mean, would you say that allowing the player that kind of freedom of expression is at the core of your game design philosophy? Um, definitely for the last couple of games, uh, like yeah. it's something I've been really, really interested in exploring is just like, yeah, getting players to be creative and also just games that use creativity uh, mixed with like some kind of storytelling or adventure thing. Um, I'm like, it's like, I, to me, it's weird that it is something novel because like everyone likes making music. Like it's like fun to play with a piano and it's fun to draw, you know, like everybody at some point in their lives does it. So, uh, it makes so much sense to me that like a video game could be really fun that like really centers those activities. Um, and it's weird to me that no one else really seems to do that. So, <laughs> like, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool that we're special, but I would love to see other people like. I mean, I feel like Chicory could be a whole genre of game, basically, you know, or like Wandersong could be a whole genre of game. Like, I just made like the first entry. That's interesting. It, that is interesting. It is funny that that's like, like, why is this novel? Like, why isn't this something that more people, you know, aren't doing? Like, why why is it that, you know, Chicory and Wandersong stand out so much? This seems like such an obvious conclusion. When When you set out to make these, you're not necessarily like thinking of yourself as some huge innovator. You're just doing what you think 
should be possible in the space, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. when I was trying them out, I, I was just curious. In both cases, I was like, can you make a game where you draw the whole time? Like, I just haven't seen right. a game quite like that. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't know it was going to work. I was going to try stuff, and I was assuming, like, oh, okay, I'm sure there's some reason that this is impossible, and it won't be fun, and I'll find out, and then I'll, I'll quit. But instead, I found out, oh, this is really cool and fun. Like, I, I guess I'll keep going. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, and I, yeah, the making games like that is really fun too. Like when you, when you find this, like, I don't know, it's like you're digging through like solid earth, like looking for stuff that's valuable. And like you fall into something like that. That's just this like huge open cavern full of space to explore that no one's been to before. Like it's really fun to be creative in a space like that because everything you try hasn't been done before. <laughs> and like you get to, I don't know. Yeah. I, I really enjoy that part of it. I enjoy like that kind of creative challenge of like coming up with stuff. Well, I, I specifically wanted to ask because of the core nature of the game of the painting and the coloring and it's all so very non-violent and there's not a lot of combat in the game obviously that's not a it's not really a focus so with that in mind how did you kind of approach the the few boss battles that the character does approach in the game yeah so those were um like a little bit contentious even like within the team even like at the very beginning um mm -hmm. wow I I, <laughs> I felt kind of strongly that we needed some kind of like conflict moment um, in the game because I, it felt like the only way to really express some of the stuff that was going on in the story, like some of the like friction and, and like roughness. So I really felt like there had to be something like that. Um, but I mean, we went really out of our way in a few areas. Like I mean, first of all, obviously there's like options, like there's accessibility stuff. You can skip them. You can make yourself invincible. Yeah. whatever right like the challenge yeah and, and yeah the main thing is i was for all of them i wasn't really thinking of the challenge as the point like it's not supposed to be like a frustrating die and, and try again kind of thing it's it's really meant to be sort of a fast-paced like emotional roller coaster ride that uses music and visual mm. to look really scary and cool but you know in effect like you know you'll like the average like person who plays games will maybe maybe fall down like once in a boss fight and then, and that's it, right? Like that's that's kind of what we were going for. Once or twice, they'll fall down just to make it feel a little bit serious. But then you get through it, and a lot of them, you you really can't fail. Like you know, you you once you clear like you know one one little phase of the fight, like it doesn't go back to that phase ever again. Like when you fall and get up, it's like you're actually in the same. You know, you haven't actually lost any progress. Yeah. That kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of trickery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah like I, I was really thinking a lot of them as like kind of a musical rhythm game thing um and mm, in, in, okay. in a small way um not not all of them work like that but some of them some of them do like more explicitly than others um because I, I like that kind of thing right that like sort of just like musical experience thing if like wander song prepped me pretty well to think about things like that yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine too, like having to having to time out there because there are moments in those boss fights that are timed to the music. So I I imagine that was kind of hard to put together. Some of those, yeah, were, were were pretty challenging. Yeah, like and it's like in this game, I wasn't doing the animation. I was working with um, Alexis. She did all the character animation and character design as well, for the record. Um, but so like on those boss fights, it's like Len is doing music and M's doing sound effects. Or actually, Preston um, was the other sound designer. He was often doing sound effects for the boss fights. And then Alexis is animating it, and then I'm doing all the code and design for it. And I'm I'm like having to like take all these pieces and and put them together in a way that um, <laughs> you know makes them all make sense. So that was definitely like. There's like some challenge there, but fun. I mean, I'm I'm really happy with the results. I think the boss fights are, are really cool. I oh, think yeah, it's really fantastic. 
I think it's really interesting how for some people they're like they're, they're like the highlight of the game, and for some people they're like the absolute low point. <laughs> that makes me feel like it was I actually that makes me happy that they're there because I feel like stuff like that is what makes the game I don't know like have something to it. <laughs> if there's like a part that's questionable, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, this is something I was curious about too because and again this is this feels like a very you know, personal authored experience as we, as we've talked about, but, um, I, I was kind of curious for your part, is, is there a line that you wrote or like a moment in the game that you were able to realize that, that you're most proud of, like something that just came together exactly how you envisioned it? Huh. A single line. I'm not sure. Like, cause I don't, yeah. But some of the conversations I was like, like the, I mean the, the one with chicory and pizza in the lagoon. Um, when they're like on the island area, yeah, that that one I I, I really really like. Um, <laughs> that's like one of the most missable ones. Um, but I I was really kind of like happy with where that one went because I felt like I don't know like it was I was also like having trouble working on the story like like just trying to figure out like who Pizza was because they're like a really hard to pin down kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they like they don't really like I don't know they don't really like express their innermost feelings that often i guess like it doesn't it doesn't it's like you know it takes a lot of time for them to get to that point so yeah when i got to there and i was kind of figuring out stuff like that like like when i was going on that conversation it, I don't know, it, was, really, it was really really cool to kind of like discover i don't know some parts of the character through that conversation and i actually ended up going back and like changing like like figuring out stuff before that to sort of like lead up to it better um i was really proud of that and i was really surprised also at the um the one where like chicory and pizza when they just like hang out when you're halfway through the trials and you like meet her somewhere mm-hmm. um that chat just came up like that was like i i was like there should be a conversation here i don't know what's going to be about and like that one just kind of happened and i was like surprised at how i don't know that, that one actually felt like the most genuine to me like like actually mm. just like two friends hanging out moment to me <laughs> yeah See, um, a lot of people don't realize this but when you're writing characters when you're you know, creating these types of narratives, the characters ultimately can kind of take on a life of of themselves and they wind up doing things that even surprise the creators at yeah. that point. Yeah. So they wind up making decisions and they wind up going in a direction that just feels so natural for them, but it's something that people as creators didn't necessarily conceive of at the beginning. Yeah, didn't didn't like plan for. So yeah, that definitely was the case for those those two conversations. Um so yeah, I was I was really happy with with those. I think I was gonna say no, whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there. So there is a moment, Greg, and I, I talked before we started recording. I talked to you about this. This is a moment I'm working on a video essay about, and I just I I've got you here. I've got to ask you about a very hyper specific moment in Chicory that just it's my favorite moment in the entire game, and. And, and you'll know what I'm talking about when I say this. I'm, I'm planning on titling this video essay, How a Gasp Made Chicory My Game of the Year. Um, there's a moment in Chicory, and this is, and you mentioned earlier, like, some of these moments are totally missable. Like, it's wild to me that this moment that had such a profound effect on me is something that the player might not even see. Um, and it's uh, with the character Hummus. And that that moment with Hummus and Parsley... And the story there and the way that it's it's like such a quiet, subtle, small moment in the game. And in that moment, you and I don't know if it was your creative decision, if it was I was kind of hoping to get a little bit of insight into this to, to have that be like one of the few kind of audible noises that a character makes this gasp 
like this gasp that hummus makes when when he sees the garden that you've made like mm. that felt like it just like reached out of space and time like and like spoke to me just that for some reason just that one like audio moment in the game <laughs> so i was kind of curious like like why you know why put an audio cue there and you know when when like there's you know there's so many other moments in the game that could have had them and didn't but like that's one that did and i was just kind of curious what the design of that little side moment was like and who made the decision to make him gasp in that moment and just you know weird <laughs> stuff like that sure well um so okay so there's that there's that scene where you you make the garden for him um mm -hmm. i mean like the way the the game was made was that like i would be working ahead of everybody so i was like kind of laying out areas i was like kind of stubbing in characters um, and then like, I, you know, like, so Alexis would have like, like she had to write for art for the first couple towns. And then in a lot of cases I would like reuse characters from earlier in the game for later mm -hmm. ones, just as like a placeholder. Um, so I'm like, you know, I'm like filling in stuff. There's no audio. There's like no good art. It's just like kind of story and design stuff. Um, so like, that's, that's where, like when I was first doing the pass on that area, like that's the state it was in. It was like, I was using kind of like other assets from the game and like i didn't have art for like the environment there or anything i was just kind of like putting in the interaction um i do remember distinctly like i was writing the the interaction like the you know like the you make the garden from and, and stuff and i really right. felt strongly like oh there's, he has to have like a special pose for like when he reacts to this even if it's just for this one scene like he's got to have a drawing for it and i think alexis even had like she had like a notebook sketch of like what um hummus was going to look like so i had that in the game and then i actually went and my, myself and like Photoshop and like hand, like I did like some like lasso marquee tool, like transform stuff and just like moved his body parts around and like drew some eyebrows on him to kind of like mm -hmm. make the little gas pose the way I thought it should look. <laughs> Cause that, you know, like she wasn't, you know, she wasn't hand cut up yet. So I was just kind of stubbing stuff in, but so I had that, uh, I put that in myself and like felt really strongly. It should be in there and look basically exactly like the way my little sketch thing did. Um, and people were even like when, some of our first playtesters, like, that's the version they saw, which for Alexis was really kind of, like, <laughs> upsetting because it was just this, like, really janky, like, piece together, like, Frankenstein of a drawing of, like, a gasp. But <laughs> um, even, the, even then, I think it, it was, like, landing with people for sure. Like, they were getting the point and stuff. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I guess it really was, like, in that moment, it really felt like the characters should react like that. Um, I made sure they had a pose like that. I think Alexis probably made some improvements to the pose when she did her pass on it. Um, and then as far as like the audio specifically, so audio is always like the last step in all this stuff. Um, and the mm -hmm. way that we determine, I feel like this is going to take some magic out for you, but the way that we <laughs> determine like stuff like audio cues is just literally like anytime any character has any pose change, that's an audio cue. Uh, so okay. Um, so like any, so characters that don't have any pose changes, they also don't have any voice. That's just like, if they only have the, their like one idle pose that we don't give them a voice, but if they have even one other pose they go into, then they get a voice because they have a voice for when they change to their second pose and then a voice for when they change back to their first pose. And the number of recordings we do is based on just like how often they change their animation or whatever. Um, gotcha. so for, so for Percy, it was literally like, okay, he has one pose. It's this gasp. He does it one time, so we need just one gasp. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, no like that. That to me makes perfect sense because, like, I think it just goes to show like how much you know care goes into this like little small moment that's totally missable. And just like even something like that, I mean, just the fact that you guys that in that moment, the fact that you chose to have 
hummus animate and gasp as a result of that animation pose change. Mm. Like that that's my favorite moment in the entire game. Just that little <laughs> decision you made resulted in my favorite moment in the game. So that's that's awesome. <laughs> I'm really glad I'm really, really glad that that resonated for you. Yeah, I, I loved it. And obviously when it comes to I mean obviously, you know, audio cues, uh you know, you're very familiar with those, especially after Wander Song and, of course, the entire, you know, musical scene mechanic from that game. But with Chicory and the color and the painting, like, there's just so, so much going on. And one of the things I specifically wanted to ask you about that was, uh, you know, obviously the, the core concept of it is the, the world is essentially your canvas. You can you have all these colors and you can paint anything, any color you want to for the most part. Each of the individual areas of the game kind of have their own default color palette. So what was kind of the, the thought process behind how you wanted to differentiate those color palettes for each of the different areas and and where your, your design philosophy was on that? Um, well, I really, really love doing color design. It actually was kind of heartbreaking when I realized this game was going to be black and white. <laughs> um, so for me, the paint palettes for each of the areas of the game were like, that was like my my little special place where I got to make colors for just like a little bit, you know? Like I got mm-hmm. to pick out some colors to players to use. I felt like 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 bigger picture, it was really important to limit the choices players had. Um, for one thing, like yeah, I mean to make the make to make the brush fun because this is not like a Photoshop, right? This isn't like Microsoft Paint. It is like a video game, um, and I like the more options you give people, you can also create opportunities for like analysis paralysis. Yeah. You know, like if you if yep. you give people a color picker, then they're going to use the color picker, and then they're using they're playing the color picker game, and they're not playing like adventure painting game. Mm. So, yeah, I wanted I wanted to get people like out of UI. I wanted to get people like just looking at screens and just kind of like making decisions about like actually drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the color palette thing was a way to do that. And also like, um, and I mean another thing too is the like UI was really just in general really complicated for this game because the entire screen corner to corner is a canvas, right? So like. There were like suggestions early on for things like, oh, like, you should be able to see in the corner, like what color you have selected or like see what size your brush is, you know, or something. But it's like, or like, and people ask about like health bars during the boss fights or something. But it's like literally any of that would cover up a part of the screen that is, could be used for painting. Um, right. <laughs> so like we, like there was never, I mean, it just never felt like there was a good option. Like it would never felt like a good option basically to add anything like that onto the screen because yeah, it's just always blocking something that you could be doing something with. Um, uh, so, like, yeah, simplifying that stuff was was a part of it as well, right? Like that that also limited basically what we could do with with color um, choice stuff. Um, and then, yeah, like I'm going on a whole bunch of tangents, but also with UI, just another thing um, is that because the whole game's in black and white, like something that I thought would be really important is that there's no absolutely no color anywhere in the world at all unless you put it there. Exactly. So yeah. right. that has yeah. right. So so if I was going to put something on the screen that shows you what color you have selected, that's already breaking the rule because now you're seeing color. <laughs> and if you can pull up a color wheel anytime, then that's like that kind of breaks the I don't know like it it it, it like it makes it makes it not as special basically when you see color because color is UI but it's also when you draw. Instead, the way the game is is that there literally is no color at all unless you draw it. Or if you go to the special color lab location, which has colors in it, and that's supposed to make you feel weird. Um, or in the art classes, I broke the rule eventually for art classes. We have like a paint a color section on the side. Yeah, right. But um, yeah, that was that was my one uh, 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 yeah compromise. 
But yeah, so all those things. Um, and also, also last, <laughs> last, last, last reason, um, be- because uh, the because the game is all in black and white. Um, the different areas, like differentiating them, was like kind of challenging artistically, visually. So having like a set color palette for each area, that was another way that um, I thought like it really helped players sort of differentiate where they are, especially if they're looking at the map and they can see what colors things are like. You know, this area is like the red autumn for you know, like forest place, and this is the pastel color town place. And you know right away when you come to somewhere new because your colors are different, and that's kind of exciting. Like, yeah, all, all that stuff. Like, if we if that didn't happen, if you could use any color anywhere, then the game I think would have like blended together and like a lot more muddy like. You know, you wouldn't really know when you're in a new place. You wouldn't have that moment of like crossing a threshold and being in a new location and like the snowy area wouldn't feel any different from the swampy area because it's, you'd be, you know, probably using the same colors that you'd liked for the one area to the other. Yep, like, right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's all like that. That really helps create that, that Zelda experience of like coming to a new place and seeing, you know, like exploring basically. Right. It doesn't feel like exploring unless you come to somewhere new and it feels different. So the colors are a way to do that. Okay. That's my Ted talk. <laughs> <laughs> my, my color-based Ted talk. You, you yeah. know, it's funny you bring up Zelda. I think, I think Zelda, you know, something like a Link's Awakening or any like top-down Zelda is a clear, you know, a clear corollary for Chicory. And even though, you know, even in spite of how unique, like the moment to moment gameplay of it is, it, would you say that that's kind of like the main inspiration for the gameplay world design is, is something like Zelda? Yes. Uh, yeah. I literally like, when I was starting this game up, the first thing, like, as I was, like, starting out the design, I, like, booted up my copy of Link's Awakening on, it was, like, actually, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the Game Boy copy. I had, like, an, a virtual console on my DS or something. But yeah, I, I played it, yeah. I played through the whole game on there, and I actually took notes. I have somewhere in my house, like, a notebook I took where I mapped out every screen in the game, but, um, like, the screens you could reach after you get each upgrade. So, like, before you have the sword, what is every screen I can get to right now, right? And, like, where are the where are the boundaries that I can't pass yet? And I like, made a map of all that. And then I did another map of, okay, after I get the sword, what are all the screens I can get to and where are the new boundaries at? Um, and the main thing I was looking for was just, like, how do they pace, like, what players can get to and, like, how open-ended the choices are? Like, where are there forks in the road? Um, something that Zelda does sometimes that we stole is, like, they'll do stuff where you something's, it's not clear that something is a fork in the road sometimes. Like, you don't know that the thing is the thing that you're going to be able to do later. And it's, it's right. placed in a way that doesn't, that doesn't like emphasize that sometimes you come, it's like the middle of the room is like a rock in it, like blocking like a clear path. And it's like, <laughs> right. okay, well someday I'm going to move that rock. But sometimes there's like a weird corner with just like a little cliff that you'll be able to jump. And you don't know that that's like a jump. You, it just looks like a, a wall to you right now. Right. That kind of thing. Um, I was, I really, really liked learning that kind of stuff um, because yeah, we use that all the time in Chicory to kind of like obfuscate what the power-ups are going to be and to make things look like walls until suddenly they're not. Mm-hmm. That that kind of moment is really, really cool to me. Um, but yeah, besides Zelda, there also like Splatoon was, was um, like a big... Of uh, course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a huge rip for this one. Um, and like a little bit of Animal Crossing uh, also. Totally. Just, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely felt like the game had a lot of Nintendo DNA, which is why we were so excited when it finally came to Switch. I yeah. mean... Um, I, I was really curious about kind of the Nintendo Switch specific features because even though this game first launched on like PC and PlayStation and stuff, when it came to Switch, you guys really kind of went all out with unique features and stuff. And I mean, I played the whole game with uh, with motion controls using the Joy-Con. I love playing the game that way. Uh-huh, like, yeah. 
I, I felt like I was playing it like like a Wii game or something, you know, just it made me <laughs> so happy. What, was that kind of a big focus when you guys were approaching the Nintendo Switch version to kind of take advantage of the Switch specific features? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I love the Switch as a console. I was really excited about just trying all that stuff. I mean, the touchscreen, like, for free was, like, such a good, like, like one of the best ways to play the game automatically. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was really excited about that. The motion controls thing was, like, that was, like, my pet project. Like, not, like, even within the porting and, like, publisher side of stuff. Like, they weren't super confident that that was going to work very well. And, like, no one was really putting time into it. And, like, for me, it was, like, I, I lost a lot of time. <laughs> trying to figure out how to do that i actually like i went um i i uh, bought and installed world of goo well i was looking up like what are games that use like joy con cursor stuff and i installed Mm. world of goo and i played through that game and i was like trying to figure out how they did their cursor stuff and then i was like I ended up getting in touch with the person who programmed the, the port of that game kind of oh, by wow. accident. <laughs> I was like asking somebody else. And he's like, Oh, you know, I actually know somebody who like knows somebody. And like, suddenly I'm getting an email from the guy like <laughs> who programmed it. And he like told me exactly how he did it. And I, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So yeah, I was definitely like, I really, really, really wanted to make that, that stuff work. It was really quite um, challenging. Uh, but I'm really glad I did because, yeah, I love the motion controls in this game. It definitely feels like the way, I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I, okay, I shouldn't say it's the way it's meant to be played because there's a lot of good ways to play the game. Like, I think I think mouse or tablet are also really good, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But playing with motion controls on the Switch, I was, like, really, really, like, honestly surprised at how natural it felt once it actually came together. Um, like, it, it works, yeah, super well. I was really happy with it. And, yeah, like, the, the um, freaking uh, HD rumble. That yes. also, yeah. <laughs> that was really important to me <laughs> to get that working well because I just I really really love some good HD rumblies. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I spent I spent yeah a couple days just just on on like rumble. That was a, that was a good pass I did on Wonder Song as well. Like I I weirdly enjoy that stuff. I don't really usually love like it really in the detail weeds work on on game stuff. I'm like not a polished guy by any means. Um, but for some reason, like just like becoming like an HD Rumble guy for a day or two, and just like designing Rumbles for everything in the game, like that's like really pleasing to me. <laughs> it's like a weird, specific, fun job to get to do to like think about Rumbles and and how they how they should be different for this texture versus this texture. And, well, you know, I mean, it's it's yeah. literally the most tactile part of the game. So yeah, yeah, something about it's really satisfying. And this is kind of neither here nor there, but I, I did just kind of want to throw this out there. Where where did the whole food? motif come from for for all the naming conventions oh yeah well so i mean it's how i name all my pokemon um (laughs) (laughs) your pre-marina yeah my pre-marina i i've had like six um but yeah uh, like yeah yeah there's this yeah um (laughs) anyway yeah so it's i think i've been playing through pokemon at the time too and so when i was like i mean it, it, it was like a you know we were we had all these character designs we're trying to give names for them. Um, and it definitely didn't feel right to call them like human normal names like Steve or, you know, <laughs> right. Eric, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. So we're looking for something and yeah, I had, like, I mean, I, I think, I think that's just my wires crossed. I was like, what if I name them after food? Um, and it still was sort of like a weird, funny idea that like we weren't like hundred percent committed to until um, we did the very beginning, the beginning, like kind of sequence of the game. And there was the naming screen and I realized that the naming screen for a game where everyone's name is food, like I realized that it was going to be like, what's your favorite food was going to be the question. Mm-hmm. And I love that so much because it's like surprising, but it also like, it's, it gets you right away in this like headspace of thinking about like what 
what's your favorite thing? You know, like who, like, how do you express yourself? Like, who are you? What, what is, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like getting, asking kind of a funny survey question to get you to think about yourself a little bit in this yeah. unexpected way. Like that's so, that's such a perfect opener to what kind of game this is. Um, and it's so, I don't know. Yeah. And then, then the joke of like finding out that that's your name at some point, like, <laughs> exactly, you know, yeah. Yeah, like there's so many things there that were just so funny that, yeah, I was like, this has to be what it is now. <laughs> so it, it stuck. I mean, it, and yeah, it, it adds, like, I, I should say too, like, I think it adds a lot to like the, like when you're meeting somebody in the game for the first time, that impression of like, it's an animal and they look like this and they're named after this food. Like, like even without, having the first line of dialogue from them you get such a strong like impression of a character i think that's yeah. really useful too like having that kind of shorthand um for a game like this where you only get so many lines of dialogue really to like give people an impression of a character like you get that's like a really useful bit of information you can actually add in even though it's like it's like not really information it's actually nonsense right it's like this person's named pancakes like <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. somehow that that really means something right like it really gives you like a vibe right yeah, because, so. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to food, I mean, people know what pancakes are. They know what parsley is. They know what hummus is. They already have an opinion of that noun, whereas, you know, most normal names, you know, what is a Steve? What is a Marjorie, you know? Yeah, so, it's, it, yeah it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of already, you know, you're attaching food. You're you're attaching things that people already know and that potentially they already have opinions about to these characters uh, as a way to kind of all, you know, give them ingrained personalities and ingrained identities. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love that. So, so Greg, um, all end fans know I'm like the video game music guy. I was telling you, I did that. I did a video game music essay that got completely derailed when Chicory came out because <laughs> that, that was immediately the second I played through Chicory, I was like, Oh, well, this is clearly the best soundtrack of the year. Um, we, we did our, uh, our We're golden aces of, awards. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, you know, Chicory not only took the prize for best indie, it, of course, took the prize for best soundtrack. And, I mean, Lena Rain totally killed it. Um, you know, just she obviously she composed like Celeste, which is a game that you were intimately familiar with during its development. We talked with you about that last time. So how, how did the partnership come up? How did you link up with her for Chicory? And did you guys work together closely? Was there kind of like a vibe you're looking for her to convey with this game? Um, yeah, so... Uh, so Len and I have been friends for a really long time. Um, like mm -hmm. we met when I was working on Wander Song, uh, mm -hmm. and she, I actually recommended her to work on Celeste. Uh, <laughs> wow. Back when they were okay. looking for composers. I mean, I wasn't the only person who recommended her, but like I did. Yeah. Um, anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah. So like we had like for a long time, there was just sort of this thing in the air of like, you know, oh, someday we should make a game together, you know, like like which i have with like a lot of people um but yeah so wander song came out celeste was out like she was free i was starting a new game and so i just kind of reached out i was like hey like remember when you said that you wanted to make a game together like <laughs> do you want it to be this dog painting game uh and she was like yes i do want it to be this dog painting game and that was basically it <laughs> the the vibe i mean so like Lena is a really, I mean, okay, so she's a really good composer, obviously. Um, something that I really appreciate about Lena as a creative is that she's very, um, like, emotionally inspired, uh, which is, like, so she, she approaches the game in a really similar way that I do, and so when we talk about stuff, we can kind of talk at the same level. Like, with a lot of other composers, um, 
the kind of direction you'll give is like you're looking at like this kind of genre or like can I get some instruments like this and this part's more intense or whatever but with Lena it's like the conversation is more about what's happening in the story like what is this part about like what's this character going through how does this area feel um and like like you know like what is the, like what kind of conversations are happening in this area and then like that's the kind of stuff that actually like inspires Lena to come up with music so a lot of the time she'll give me stuff that doesn't sound the way I expected it to, but expresses something kind of inherent about like uh, the story that I, you know, like I didn't like even I didn't kind of like foresee or expect. Um, so she she adds her own color to it, which is really really cool. Like she has this kind of vision, then she can she really understands like how to evoke emotion with her music, right? And like how to express even really complicated kind of like feelings and thoughts, and that's um, just really cool. Yeah. So like she added a lot to the game and, and like was able to like express a lot of cool stuff that we didn't yeah, expect. It was really nice. Really nice working with her. She's I mean, legendary. Yeah, she's she's certainly uh, made a name for herself and and that soundtrack is just it's phenomenal. It's it's one of my favorite soundtracks for any game on the Switch. It's it's so good. <laughs> um so as, as you're kind of, and, you, and you've teased this a little bit on social media, um, we're, we're kind of like, you know, we, we got our eyes on the next thing and everything. There, there are a couple things we're curious about, and I know it's really early, and, and I know there's probably not much you can say, but we, we, we wouldn't be doing our due diligence if we didn't at least ask if there was anything at all you can say about your next game. Uh, it's really different from Chicory. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll say that. Yeah, um, I think you'll like it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, I think I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to say about it. Let me yeah. let me say this. I, I just want to. You don't have to respond. I just want to throw this out there, just for the record, so that if I'm right, it'll look like I'm a genius. Okay. So <laughs> when you 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 tweeted out this little kind of like teaser picture of this character, yeah, and it's this kind of like mishmash looking character i did, i couldn't really get a Almost like, like a, a read jim on. henson type of puppet or something from labyrinth right. yeah and and the vibe i was getting i was thinking about you and your design and like the player expression and stuff and i was like this looks like a creature creator like a character creator kind of thing where you can like take elements and kind of like create your own characters or your own creatures in the game so that i'm just i'm throwing that out there i'm putting okay. that into the ether i don't know if that's accurate at all but i'm just throwing it out there Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, I'm I'm excited for you to find out. I'm like I'm I'm like dying to talk about it. I'm really excited about the new thing. I mean, it's like what I'm doing most of the day every day right now. But oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I want I want to look. I want to be like really ready before we like talk about it in full. So yeah, yeah, I'm hoping it'll be this year. I'm hoping this year, but I don't I don't know. Yeah, we're still we're still kind of in the weeds right now. Hoping you'll be able awesome. to talk about it this year or hoping it releases this year. <laughs> hoping I'll be able to talk about it this year. It is not gonna. <laughs> yeah. I, at one point. I mean, okay, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say anything. No. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. But obviously we're, we're such fans of your work. We, we, we cannot wait for that. Whatever it's going to be, I'm sure it's going to be another game of the year contender. Um, (laughs) But, you know, there was another thing that we were kind of uh, curious about. Obviously Chicory was this massive title from, from 2021 and us collectors out here we're wondering if there was potentially an update on a physical version for Chicory. Uh, definitely something that we're like thinking about and looking at. Uh, I actually don't remember. Like, I think, uh, yeah, that's like a lot of physical production stuff, I think has been slowed down um, as of right. late. Like I know we're, we were kind of like physical for the vinyls that I think we've actually even said publicly, even though we haven't 
officially officially announced it. We basically said we are doing those. But mm-hmm. yeah, the reason why they're not ready yet is because production is super super slow. Um, so I think that's that's one factor. And then yeah, I mean, just stuff's been yeah. We yeah, we're we're working on stuff. <laughs> we're talking to people and figuring things out. Um, but yeah. I'm, yeah, that's all. I, it's, <laughs> I, I need I need to own chicory physically. I, I need to know that nobody can ever take it away from me, Greg. That's what I need to know. <laughs> yeah, I want one too. Yeah, yeah, man, cool. Well, uh, we we appreciate it. We do have a few um, questions and comments from the community to sort of wrap up with. Um, we everybody was super excited that you were coming back on the show, and um, and they definitely had some questions for you. Um, we've got a couple here from Jason Lee in our Discord. Um, he asks, the hint system of allowing the player to decide how much help they want is brilliant. How much effort went into writing for the dad who will tell you exactly where to go and what to do no matter where you are at in the game? It seems to me like it would have been complicated to pull that off. <laughs> it is super, super complicated. Yeah, um, it's a lot of it's a lot of word count, like like a pretty decent percentage of the word count for the entire like game is just the mom and dad hint system. Um, yeah, like part of it was, yeah. Like the actually the probably the most complicated part is what happens after you beat the game, which most people won't even do. But you know, mm-hmm. you call if you call your parents after you beat the game, you get like very specific hints on even like side quests, and it even it has like a, a prioritization system where like it tries to look at like the side quests that are like most easy to do or closest to you. Like it does, it tries to give you like a hint for a specific side quest that is like most relevant to you right now, depending on where you are, kind of thing. <laughs> um, which is like. Yeah, like, I mean, it was just a lot. Um, definitely, yeah, there were some bugs. Like, I found out after the game came out, like, just a couple really, really, really weird edge cases where, like, you've done this quest, but not this quest, and you call them in this location and ask them for a hint on this thing, and they give you, like, a hint that doesn't make sense, or they give you the wrong hint, like, <laughs> that kind of thing, because there's so many branching cases to, to figure out there. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, it was it was work. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad I did it because i i mean for a game like this that's so full of little secrets and things that can be missed mm-hmm. i think it's a really nice kindness to the player to kind of give them a like a guaranteed way of finding everything um i'm shocked because i still get emails sometimes <laughs> from people who are like <laughs> i can't find this thing or i have 99 percent completion and i don't know how to get to 100 what do i do like call your parents <laughs> <laughs> i put a thing Paul in the game and dad it's tailor made for you like they'll tell you exactly what you're missing like why are you emailing me i don't know who you are <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's funny you bring that up greg because jason lee had a follow-up question here and i think this is really telling of what you're talking about because he he says was there any uh, ever any thought into including a warp system and you do kind of have a fast travel system in the game but just like a lot of the stuff like it's it's like missable content so i i was kind of curious about how how the approach was for that to to put like the fast travel system in there the way you guys implemented it and just sort of this design philosophy of of having so many optional things to find in the game i think optional things are really important um especially for an exploration game like having stuff you can miss is what kind of makes them feel important you know (laughs) right like yeah so i i tried to make actually as little mandatory uh as I possibly could. That was like a big focus for me. Um, and yeah, I think it's like anytime you can find something that like a player can do that's optional, I feel like it just adds, it makes the game just feel cooler, you know? Like, so I was always looking for, for opportunities to, to fill that stuff in. We actually, like, the way, um, the way the game was kind of like planned out was I had this really, I had like a, 
kind of a to-do list. It was like a list of just cool ideas with no like place to put them. So like the fast, like the going to a, a transit place, getting like making an ID photo. Like that was, that was actually just like uh, an idea that I had though. I just thought it'd be fun to do without any reason for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and another, like other examples would be like, you know, oh, you should design a logo for like some kind of store or you should draw a t-shirt or you should be able to draw a hat and whatever shape you draw, you wear in your head or you should do a drawing and someone else draws on the canvas first and you fill the canvas in, whatever. It was like, like, just like, oh, like ideas like that, like no placement or basis or story to them, just like random floating things. Um, and for the fast travel, I think it was like, yeah, I just was like, oh, like, what could the fast travel system be? And I had that ID card idea kind of written down and like, I just sort of married those two things and that became like a fun side quest in one part of the town. But yeah, I don't know if this gives you the gist of it, but yeah, like the way that a lot of the game, you know, it was just like making open areas and looking down this list of just fun things to do and finding reasons to do them uh, was kind of like the whole, the whole like, you know, modus operandi of like how the side quests and the whole bunch of the game was built. And I really do enjoy doing things that way because then like everything always has, like, there's always something fun, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like it's not, it's never not just like a cool character. It's always like a really fun, like, like unique drawing task that hasn't been anywhere else in the game and a cool character that's like kind of based on giving you that fun little thing to do. Um, yeah. So that was like, that's how that wound up in there. Just a fervor of like lots of little ideas that are all like piling into this big bucket. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And then Jason Lee asks, is there any chance for a sequel to Chicory? <laughs> uh, probably not. I mean, not anytime soon. I, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I really like just veering off 90 degree angles like <laughs> from each game to the next. I just like exploring different stuff. Like so the same with Wander Song. Like that game was really, really fun to do. I still am really proud of it. I don't want to make it again. Like <laughs> I've got, I've got lots of other like ideas I want to try out. Um, and it's just for me, like just for me creatively, like it's way more satisfying to explore a new space. Kind of like I was talking at, at the beginning of this interview, like exploring new space and, and doing stuff no one's done before. Like that's really exciting to me. And that's mm-hmm, like what yeah. makes making games really fun. So um, I just want to keep doing stuff like that. Like making a sequel is like, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe when I'm like, old and, and bored maybe i'll like want to go back and do sequels <laughs> <laughs> go back to the well another wielder you know it does i mean you do have like the story set up there for for you know an infinite amount of sequels if you really wanted to you could really just kind of harry potter this thing you know yeah and... <laughs> i think there could be some yeah if i was gonna keep going with the story i think like the idea of a world where suddenly everyone has like magical art and like all these different characters and then what their styles are i think that would be a really cool thing to explore or going backwards. I think if you went backwards in time, it wouldn't be as special though, because it would just be kind of the same story again. But sure, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, like there's things I could do for sure. Um, but there's lots of other things I could do that aren't related to chicory at all, and that's what I'm doing. Um, yeah, so that's really fun. <laughs> yeah, we can't wait. We do have a comment here from uh, community member Sparky who just says, "Please just tell Greg I absolutely adore Wander Song. It's such a unique and well-crafted game with some amazing moments and a stunning, moving musical score throughout." So that's just a little. I agree, Sparky. I agree. <laughs> Thank you, Sparky. I don't I really remember if you. That. I don't remember, uh, or I don't know if you remember the email that I sent you about a year ago, Greg. But yes, I've, I concur. I, I enjoy Wander Song quite a bit. Thank you. We we did our uh, top five favorite Switch games, and uh, Wander Song was on Eric's, and Chicory was on mine. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's cool. <laughs> I I really appreciate that. Like like people liking Wander Song is like still 
it's like, I don't know, for a, like that game was like really like much smaller than Chicory in, in terms of like the team and also just how far it went. So mm-hmm. yeah. people like that game. There's something about that that's really special. I feel like Wander Song is like, I feel like Chicory is, okay, in my opinion, I think Chicory is a better game. Um, but Wander Song is like a way more, it feels like a more special game because it's like mm. so imperfect. Like it feels like a lot less clean and a lot more, even more personal than Chicory because it's like, I don't know. Yeah. It feels like a crayon drawing by like a little kid to me compared to Chicory in a way <laughs> or Chicory is actually like kind of like a well-made package, I think. So I don't know. Yeah. I love them both a lot. <laughs> I could, yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, our last couple of questions come from Shy Guy City, uh, community member Shy Guy City. He says, first question, what gives y'all the right to make games this good? <laughs> Chicory had me in a deep reflection on my life and the people in it at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. So, <laughs> what gives you the right to make games this good, Greg? <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I watch a lot of, I watch a lot of cartoons and animation and that's, that's where I think where like a lot of the story kind of tone and, and, and vibe comes from. Um, so like, I think, yeah, there's a lot of room for games to do cool stuff with that. Like, I don't even feel like what I do, if you took it out of the context of games, I feel like what we do with our stories is not even that exceptional, you know, I think it, it sits like, I don't know. Yeah. If you watch like any episode of Steven Universe, like. <laughs> like you're you're in for a ride that like i'm just never going to be able to match up with um <laughs> but i'm yeah so like i i'm really glad that we can like i'm that we can make stuff that people resonate with though like that that is really cool um and i'm excited about that like that, for me like that's kind of like what makes it all worth it is getting to make these games and to get to like explore these like weird specific personal experiences and to get other people who i don't know yeah who read that resonates with like that's that's really cool that's really fun too yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you kind of touch on this just just now so this kind of piggybacks off of uh, shy guy's first question he says i'd also like to get some kind of list of greg's inspirations and favorite things particularly movies and books i'm always on the lookout for good books mm. um well so let's see like steven universe <laughs> yeah Obviously. that's obvious yeah that's um, huge over the garden wall was like a big one for me. Um, there was there was like one year so right before I started Wander Song, and that one uh, was like twenty fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, it was twenty fifteen. Um, I watched Team Universe for the first time. I saw Over the Garden Wall for the first time, and I listened to Hamilton the musical for the first time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I know that there's like the discussion that has like aged a little bit in some ways, but just as a pure like writing and character project and like ex- like expressing things through music, it is a freaking incredible like yeah piece i mean it is it is so worth studying like if you were into like writing and, and inspiration and just want to like get inspiration on stuff like it is just such a cool um piece yeah <laughs> uh i'm like i know i've been inspired by other things since then like, i mean like if i go back to like, like you know yeah i'm thinking of games movies and stuff i mean so i'm a really big pixar fan um I actually really uh, Turning Red, which just came out, a really really good oh, film in my opinion. So um, good, yeah. My my favorites, like I was, I'm a really big fan of. Oh my god, I just forgot his name. Um, one second, one Google search, please. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I've been sorry. Okay, Pete Doctor, um, Pete mm. Doctor, like he he's the director who did Up, and he also did Inside Out. Um, yeah. Those those two films, I think, are like just stand like shoulders above like like pixar is like an amazing studio and those two films in my opinion are like some of the just like the best ones from their their roster he also worked on soul more recently which i was like less enthusiastic about but still enthusiastic about but up and and inside out especially like wow um those are those are big ones for me 
uh, <laughs> I feel like these are all like kind of obvious. I mean, they're like really popular, obvious things. So I feel like if you're, yeah, and they're not like deep cuts. I'm like struggling to think of like a good deep cut for you, books. Are you, are you yeah. a reader? Yeah, a book. Books. I I don't read as much as I should. Um, like a lot of people, I'm in a book club. Um, there's like there are really good books, but I can't say that they're like like the the stuff that inspires like the storytelling in my games. It definitely comes more from animation and film. So like mm. I can say some books I like a lot. Um, like uh, or can I? Because I just forgot the names. <laughs> <laughs> uh man there's like yeah but they're like i don't read very often anyway so my book recommendations are basically useless um <laughs> yeah. it's look it's better than i could do I, i'd be sitting here be like being like animorphs read animorphs <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool well yeah that's that's what we had from the community greg thank you so much for uh for answering those people were really excited to get a chance to pitch some questions to you yeah, I really appreciate the questions. Sorry, I, I, I feel like I, I wish I wish I'd been prepared. I would have come with a list. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. No, we uh we just really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to hang out. And again, auspicious episode. It's a, it's a big important episode, and and you and your work, um, like we said, have just been a crucial part of of all end DNA from literally episode one. So we we super appreciate you. Thank you. I yeah, I really I'm really honored. I mean. <laughs> It feels like really special to have like something like, I don't know, like, I mean, you guys did something really incredible making a hundred episodes of a podcast. Like that's a huge effort. So congratulations to you. I mean, <laughs> I feel really honored to like have, I don't know, like this, this whole like work sort of pinned, I don't know, to, to be, to be, to be included in that, I guess, like, and to be honored in that, like that's, that's really special. Um, thanks. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel like, yeah. It, you, what do you guys did is really, really cool on its own. <laughs> And hopefully we can have you back on the show again, maybe sometime down the line when it of when your next game inevitably comes out and wins all of the awards. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> We're happy to have you back. Well, Greg, um, but before we before we send you off, we don't want to take up your entire uh, morning. Um, wh- where can people kind of follow you for updates and and kind of everything you're working on? Um, so my website is greg.style. That's the easiest thing to remember if you want to find links to all my stuff. Um, I'm at Greg Lobanov on Twitter, but that's really hard to spell. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you can, you can follow like at Chicory on Twitter or at Wandersong underscore game on Twitter. Those are my, my games. If you want to like see fan art and eventually like, yeah, someday we'll, we'll say more about the new thing we're working on, which I'm really excited about. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Cool. And for, for updates on the new thing, those are just going to come from either like the Chicory Twitter account or the personal Twitter account? It'll, it'll come from my personal probably. Um, also, yeah, if, you, if you go to greg.style, I do have like a mailing list, which I don't use very often, um, but I will definitely use when I'm announcing something big and new. So that's probably a, a more surefire way to make sure you don't like miss stuff because I know tweets are really easy to miss, but emails, those are forever. So yeah. Awesome. Emails are forever. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, you'll, of course, find links to all of that stuff in the episode description. But uh, I guess let's let's just roll out the red carpet one last time for our good friend, Greg Lobanov. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so Thank much. Thank you, Greg. Good luck with everything in the future. Can't wait to see the next game. Awesome. Man, what a great chat with Greg. So cool to get him back for the auspicious mm-hmm. occasion of episode 100. Uh, so happy to get the chance to talk to him and, and have him back, of course, from episode one. I'm sad that I couldn't get him to fess up anything about the new game, but you know what? <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, we couldn't 
couldn't quite get anything new out of them, but definitely, definitely on the lookout for all of the stuff coming up from uh, from Fenji Studios, from from Greg. I cannot wait. He was obviously such a huge part in setting the tone mm-hmm. of our show. But but even back before, like even when we were in the planning stages of All In, we we kind of knew even before we started recording episode one, we had a really good idea of what we wanted All In to be yeah we had a fully formed plan really of what we wanted all in to be and for episode 100 we really wanted to shout out other people other creators developers and masterminds who also had a fully formed plan and a fully formed uh idea behind what they were doing. Seth and I have added little tweaks here and there to the show over the past 100 episodes, but the games that we're about to talk about to date have not. For our top five this week, we are going to be counting down those games that came out and were done. And we're theming it around episode 100. So, Seth, let's go ahead and count down the top five games still on version 1.0.0. All right, Eric. The top five games still on version 1.0.0. I know this is a list you've been wanting to do for a long time, so lay down the groundwork. What are the rules? <laughs> it has actually been a list. <laughs> I had this idea. God, we had this idea so, so long ago. Yeah. And, but just because of the whole 1.0.0 conceit, we just kind of figured that for episode 100 and, you know, just shouting out all those developers who, who just knew what they had, who knew what they were doing before the game ever hit shelves or before it ever hit the eShop. So the rules are, we are going to be counting down our favorite games on the Nintendo Switch that are still on version one. Point oh, point oh. We're not even considering games that are on version 1.0.1. No day one patches allowed in this list. We are only talking about games that are on still version 1.0.0 with the caveat that we are not including games from the past three months. Those games we feel are too new to talk about. But we do absolutely want to shout out Kirby and the Forgotten Land, which is still on version 1.0.0. Of course. But we are we are only talking about games on version 1.0.0 with no announced patches and no announced DLC coming. So nothing to make us think that it will be getting updated in the future. These are games that, for all intents and purposes, we have a good idea are done, full stop, that came out. And we're done. And I just want to say, when it comes to like being able to patch a game is has been such a godsend. Being able to patch out bugs that we find post-launch or being able to add content, to be able to actually add content to a game that's already come out is so amazing. Is so amazing. But many, many moons ago, way back before the internet. If you were making a game, that thing had to be done by the time it went to print. Yeah. There was no patches. There was no DLC. There was no internet. 
that thing had to be done when it went to print. And there are a lot of developers out there that you could very easily argue that use the ability to patch their games as a crutch. Right. That they release games that they intentionally haven't play tested as much of they as much as they should have in order to get their audience to do that for them. And then they say, well, we'll just fix what bugs arise after they find them. Today, we are going to be shouting out those developers who play it old school. Those developers who once a game left their desk and went to Nintendo for approval. It was done forever. That's right. And coming into my number five, I'm actually taking it back to basically the Switch's launch with a game called Kamiko. Mm. Um, this is a game, I actually can't believe we haven't done an indie showcase on this game yet because it was an early Switch game um, that I really enjoyed. It's a simple little, you know, Zelda-like pixel art Zelda-like, not unlike something like uh, a Titan Souls or even maybe like a um, like a really simplified Unsighted. Okay. That kind of vibe, you know? Um, yeah. And it's, it's really good. It's, it's a cute little game. It's like typically $5. You'll get through it in a few hours, you know? And um, I, I really enjoy it. It's actually for the next few days on sale for like two, like two forty nine or something like that. It's half off. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I highly recommend it. But, yeah, the fact that that came out and, you know, it's a really simple game, so you don't necessarily expect a lot of patches. But the fact that that came out as a fully formed game, a fully formed idea early on in the Switch's life and here more than five years after the fact has still not received even a single patch is is really impressive to me for this little game. I think it would have been easy for them to come in and I mean this is the kind of game that you would almost expect to have some DLC or some content you know add-ons or whatever but no this is just a really complete little Zelda-like package with some kind of Japanese you know influence and flair to it and um yeah it's just it's just really good and and I really wanted to give it a spotlight here nice nice I respect that well for my number five I'm going, you know, we talk about developers who have that old school mentality of Mm -hmm. a game being complete once it leaves their desk. So I I guess I'm really leaning into that with my number five. My number five is Pocket Rumble. Now, Pocket Rumble is basically a love letter to the Neo Geo Pocket Color. Those of you who remember how incredibly excited I was to get my Neo Geo Pocket Color Selection Volume 1 in with all of yeah. those different SNK games, uh, the Neo Geo Pocket Color really should be talked about more because even though it had a really small library, it had a lot of really good games, specifically a lot of really good fighting games. It is amazing the quality of fighting games that were on that little handheld system and Pocket Rumble emulates that beautifully pocket rumble is like it's basically a neo geo pocket color version of skull girls i guess so just imagine like fatal fury on the neo geo pocket color cross skull girls that's that's really kind of the vibe we're talking about it's a two button fighter very faithfully to the neo geo pocket color but And it's got, it only has eight fighters, which a lot of people I think would think, especially for a modern day fighting game, is way too small of a roster. But they all play completely differently. Each single one of them has their own unique special bar, their own unique special moveset. 
uh, and their own unique supers. It's it's really cool. It's very fully formed when it comes to content. It's got online play. And that's oh, wow. honestly one of the biggest reasons that I'm bringing it up is because nobody's playing it online. Join me online, you cowards. Somebody <laughs> buy this game and play me online. But it came out a couple of years ago when like all the fighting games came out when you had uh when you had Street Fighter V really hitting its stride and you had Mortal Kombat 11 coming out and this was you know right after Super Smash Brothers Ultimate and Dragon Ball Fighters and the the fighting game market was getting really saturated and this kind of just came out under everybody's radar around that and it's a shame because it's really really cool again it's a very faithful recreation of a Neo Geo Pocket Color game, which means a lot of people may find it a little bit too simple, especially with the two, especially with the two button layout. But I really dig it. And if you're a fighting game fan, I'm I'm so happy I was finally able to find a reason to talk about Pocket Rumble. If you're a fighting game fan, I do encourage that you check it out. Yeah, it's actually kind of a a running theme here. A lot of these games are going to be kind of games that I've been looking for a reason to talk about and, you know, Comico and and like you with Pocket Rumble. And my number four is actually another example of this. Um, My number four is The End is Nigh. Um, Oh, yeah, a lot of people don't even know that this game is a thing. It's like by far the most underrated um, Edmund McMillan game, the guy behind Super Meat Boy and The Binding of Isaac. Yeah. yeah. Um, the End is Nigh is a really good, I mean, just like Super Meat Boy, it's a unique, very tight um, platformer that's like huge in content. It's got over 600 levels in the game. Um, it's got a bunch of collectibles, kind of similarly to Super Meat Boy, not quite in the same like um, depth that Super Meat Boy has, but but it does have like these collectible little you know video game cartridges where you play in these little pixel art levels and stuff. Yes, and, you know it's it's got that kind of vibe to it, and it's you know there's a lot of little Easter eggs and references to other Ed McMillan games, and it's really really good. And I feel like nobody is talking about it, and it's it's just interesting because his other games were, are so like. I mean, these are megaton hits, Meat Boy and Binding of Isaac, and The End is Nigh really does deserve to be in that same conversation. I think what it is, is The End is Nigh has a very kind of like dark and gloomy atmosphere. Um, It literally takes place like in the apocalypse, like after the end of the world. And Mm -hmm. the main character is just this little blob boy named Ash, who just sort of like is one of the few things that survived, you know, and... um, you you know i i think that that kind of attributes to why it didn't latch on but the gameplay itself is is really really good and again it it arrived fully formed no updates no additions this is already a a game stuffed with content and um and is well worth your time so that's that's the end is nigh i highly recommend it yeah a lot of these games are going to be very under the radar games you don't often see a big triple a uh, you don't often see games from massive publishers come out and are just done. It's so often games that have multiple patches, even a day one patch. It's very rare to see a game from a major publisher that doesn't at least have a day one patch. Yeah. Very rare, but not completely unheard of. My number four is WarioWare Get It Together. When it comes to how impressed I am that this game <laughs> didn't hasn't received a patch since its launch. This, if, if it was just based on that, this would be my number one. It astounds me. 
of all of Nintendo's first party games, especially games that have come out on the Nintendo Switch, to think of a game like this, where you have over a dozen playable characters and you have over 200 separate mini games, over 200 separate events that they had to code in this game. And Lord knows how many art styles and everything. The fact that they crammed all of these different disparate things into this one game and they haven't need to patch a single bug post-launch is frankly miracle work. The, the team deserves an extra, extra box of chicken nuggets for that. <laughs> it, it is astounding that WarioWare Get It Together has not received a post-launch. I would, I would very much have liked to have seen some content added post-launch, specifically uh, Super Pioro. But yeah, you're never going to let them live that down. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move past it. I'm going to move past it. I'm going to move past it. But yeah, there's a lot here. It's such a fun game. It's such a great party game. It very much came and went. I don't know if anybody who's still live, they're still doing those weekly challenges, presumably. Oh, yeah. Wario oh, yeah. Cups. But, yep. Yeah, but I haven't seen anybody talk about it a couple weeks after the game's launch. But it's still really fun. They had a really cool multiplayer mode in there. A lot of party games in addition to, of course, all of the minigame madness. It was a really, really cool title. And it definitely deserves to have you go back to it to see it one more time. It misses you. I miss it too. I I would like to go back and play it myself. I haven't played it in a while. And uh, I I do owe it to myself to play as much of that game as possible. I did summon it after all. Yes, Um, yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, you did. So everybody who did, anybody who remembers the seance that yes. Seth performed prior to E3 last year. <laughs> yeah, I was talking about that in the Discord actually recently with uh, one mm-hmm. of our new Discord members. One of our new members, Ella. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool. Hi, um, Ella. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Welcome to the All End Crew. Um, going into my number three. Um, this is actually, this is funny. This is actually three games in one. And admittedly, I'm sort of cheating with one of them. So (laughs) hear me out. Um, Drinkbox Studios is, uh, is a studio that we have a lot of affinity for me in particular. Like I, I love their games. And one of the things that I love so much about them is that their games do arrive fully formed, fully formed ideas. Um, so when you look at their their games and, and you know a lot of these are, are all on Switch now, we've got the two Guacamelee games on Switch, we've got Tales from Space Mutant Blobs Attack, and you've got Severed and their newly released game, Nobody Saves the World. Um, out of all of those that are on Switch so far, the only one that is not on version 1.0.0 is actually Guacamelee 2. It's got some kind of small update apparently that it had, but otherwise... All of their games released thus far on Switch are on version 1.0.0. Now, this is cheating a little bit because Nobody Saves the World did come out very recently on Switch. However, it initially released on Xbox One and PC back in January, and it actually got its kind of like big major content update in conjunction with the PlayStation and Switch release. So... When it arrived here, it arrived as kind of the quote-unquote final version of Nobody Saves the World. Now, they may wind up doing DLC for the game or whatever, but as of right now, we have no reason to believe 
that they're updating the game any further. Um, Because this was kind of like a a big final patch. It added co-op to the game and stuff like that. So um, it seems like that's kind of it for this game. But we'll see. Regardless, they're, you know, Tales from Space Mutant Blobs Attack, Guacamelee 1 and Severed all still being on 1.0.0 is super impressive. These guys know how to make a video game. Mm-hmm. And we've already done a couple drink box indie showcases in the first 100 episodes. I have no doubt you will be seeing that developer name more in the future. Oh, yeah. Uh, but going into my number three, my number three is Firewatch. Ah, great game. Speaking of games we've done indie showcases on, Firewatch from Campo Santo Studios. Now, the fact that it's still 1.0.0 isn't necessarily a super big surprise because it is ultimately a walking simulator, which I know is kind of a four-letter word to a lot of people, but it is really good. It's obviously, as most walking sims are, it is incredibly rooted in the narrative that it's trying to tell, but that narrative is really strong with incredibly strong performances from the two leads and there's uh, so much going on the park is like it's actual like shoshone national park it's a real place that you get to walk around it's really cool it's incredibly engrossing uh i definitely definitely recommend checking out firewatch if you haven't before i mean it's it's basically just an indie film drama, I guess. It's it's very, very cinematically oriented, which makes sense considering that Campo Santo is currently in production of the film adaptation of it. It's probably another reason they haven't patched yet is because they're busy with the film adaptation. In addition to the quarterly literary journal that they that they write. But Again, there's not too much to say about it. I had to put it on here just because it is so good. Not really gameplay heavy, of course, as most walking sims aren't. Very much a point-and-click adventure. But, man, you you want to talk about relatable. You want to talk about hard-hitting. Uh, man, it's it's just, just go play it. Just go play it if you haven't already. I agree. I, I really love that game. And uh, we that's another one we've done an indie showcase on yep. in the past. And um, yeah, we we highly recommend Firewatch. Um, really good. I, I hope to hear some more news on that movie soon because that game would make a, a good, that story would translate well, I feel like. It's one of the, you know, the few games that I think it's so narrative heavy. I think it would translate well. So That, that absolutely feels like a Paramount Plus original to me. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So we will see what happens there. Um, Moving into my number two, this is actually... So a lot of the games on my list so far have been indie games, but this is kind of one where I was like, okay, let's get a a big one on here. Let's get a heavy hitter on here. My number two is Okami HD Mm. on the Nintendo Switch, which is, you know one of the best games ever made um, a game that we've done a, a retrospective on with our friend Ash yep. Paulson. Hi, Ash. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I love that game and the fact that they had it fully formed, fully realized on the Nintendo switch, they never had to go in and patch HD rumble. They never had to go in and patch um, any of the like motion controls or anything like that. And 
like icing on the cake here, this is another one where in celebration of Capcom's Golden Week sale um, going on until the 15th, there is a deep discount. It's like 50% off. If you wouldn't pay $10 to play Okami HD, we can't be friends. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's one of the best games ever made. I mean, it really is. The fact they haven't had to patch the Switch version is really surprising because of how deeply rooted it is in the motion controls and how different those motion controls are to something like the Nintendo Wii. Fundamentally, yeah. they're supposed to work the same, but a Wii remote and a Joy-Con are very different pieces of machinery. So the fact that they were able to nail that out the gate, geez. Yeah, and I and I really do feel like the Switch version is the definitive version of the game. So again, $10, I mean, like, go buy this game. Just buy it. Go figure out why Seth and I lost our minds so much over the Amaterasu cosplay in Monster Hunter Rise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, especially, I would tell you, like, if you're a fan of the old school Zelda games, like, the, the, it is better than a lot of Zelda games. I'll, and and yeah. I do not say that lightly. You all know how much I love Zelda. I do not say that lightly. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And of course, getting into our top two, I mean, there's really only room up here for amazing titles. And this is one that I still don't think a lot of people have played, which is a crime. It actually topped another one of our lists a while back, ironically enough, when we were talking about Okami a mm. little bit. My number two is Hugh. Ah, yeah. I love that game. It's so good. It's from the formerly named Curve Digital, now Curve Games. It is a puzzle platformer. I think I kind of, I think the way I described it is it's basically like Wandersong and Runbo if they had a love child. Yeah. I think that's how I described it last time. Because you have a character who has access to different colors of the color wheel who at any time can change the screen, can change the background of the screen to be whatever color they wish. And there are a ton of platforms and there are a ton of obstacles and stage implements that are different colors. And you can turn the background, you can turn the rest of the screen into that same color to make those intangible so that you can fall through platforms so that attacks and like spiked balls and stuff like that will go right through you. Conversely, you need to make sure that those platforms are tangible if you want to jump on them. It is a really interesting, really visually vibrant, brain teasery, really well-made puzzle platformer that has a really endearing narrative going on underneath it as well stuff like abandonment and the relationship between a mother and son yeah it, it's it's not a lot it's not a really big game and it's got a really quick pace to it but man that one got me that one got me it's it's so so good it's so good the visual the 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 visual disparity of having so much of the screen black and then the rest of it just cycling through this rainbow of colors has always been really striking to me again the pace of the game is really good the design of the puzzles is especially getting to the end of the game just out of this world you've just got so many elements that work together so flawlessly in that game we haven't done an indie showcase on hue have we I know we're we're just sitting here, honestly, just revealing games that we haven't done indie showcases on yet. What is wrong <laughs> with us? 
Definitely got to put that on the list. Seth, put that on the list for the next 100 episodes. Yeah, we, we, we got to put that on the list. So, sometime between now and episode 200, make sure we cover some of these games. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, before we reveal our number one picks, do we have some honorable mentions? You know, we do have a couple. Obviously, we said we weren't considering games from just the past couple months. So stuff like Rotund Rebound that just came out a few weeks ago that we talked about in an indie showcase. Stuff like 2D and Top D that just came out, which is still on 1.0.0. Those wouldn't have been considered. But we just got to shout out Kirby and the Forgotten Land one more time. I hope it gets more content. I really hope it gets an update because I want more of that. Yes, please. And thank you. But there were a couple other ones. Abzu, I actually wanted to shout out. Abzu Mm. is a really cool game. Another one that we've done an indie showcase on that is also at version 1.0.0. And I'll just go ahead and shout out the Mighty Switch Force collection. Because, you know, shouting out a collection may seem like a cheat, but you would be amazed at the collections. Games that you think would just be cut and paste ROMs. Uh, and emulated games like most of the arcade archives series is which is why we didn't include any of those but there's a lot of collections out there that have been patched several times but the mighty switch force collection hasn't good for them yeah actually speaking of collections i wanted to make a point to mention the crash bandicoot insane trilogy for switch Um, i mean there's a collection that I'm actually a little bit surprised that that arrived as fully formed as it did. I mean, you would think that there'd be some kind, especially with remasters and stuff, you know, and and complete remakes like that. Typically, they find some sort of problem or whatever, but uh, but not for this. And um, as a matter of fact, they added for the original release some post-launch DLC that is worked into the Switch version of the game. So um, that that's that's really cool as well that they just kind of released a final version of that game for Switch. Um, also wanted to shout out The World Ends With You, that like final remix HD whatever yeah. version. Yeah. Um, what's cool about this is not only has it never needed an update, but they actually did have to completely rework that game. You could argue for the worse. You could argue that it's not as comfortable to control the game that way versus the original DS release. But they did have to completely rework the game for Switch. And it is kind of impressive that they managed to do that and never had the need to patch anything. So shout out to that. Um, Also wanted to shout out the Bayonetta re-releases. Bayonetta 1 and 2 still on version 1.0.0. I will... I will play through those games before three. <laughs> I'll do it. It's going to happen. Before Bayo 3 comes out. Absolutely. Yep. And even though they're not 1.0.0s, well, we wanted to shout out a couple that were really close. A couple 101s that were really close for consideration. Ironically enough, there were a couple Nintendo games that mm-hmm. have only received day one patches. Yoshi's Crafted World is a 1.0.1. Uh, the Legend of uh, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, that phenomenal remake from last year, the definitive version of that game. That's a version 1.0.1. And Paper Mario the Origami King, another really good game, hampered by just a really bad main battle system, but a fantastic game otherwise. That's only version 1.0.1. Uh, yeah, and actually, Link's Awakening, the Link's Awakening remake for the Nintendo Switch, also included in that kind of 1.0.1 um, discussion. And what really kind of annoys me about that, I, that's a game, this is an example of a game <laughs> I wish they'd continue to patch. 
Like, I love that game. That remake was amazing, and ultimately, the framerate issues don't hamper the experience that much. But the game, like, there's no reason for that game not to be flawless. You know what I mean? There was even a um, a Digital Foundry video where they're baffled by it, too. They're, they're like, we don't understand why this isn't just flawless on the Switch. Like, this makes no sense. Because um, <laughs> whenever you do screen transitions in that game, it halves the frame rate. And I, I don't know why. Like, just it just does. Um, so that was something that I, I wish that they could continue to work on. And apparently they did a post launch patch, but it wasn't for that. So, <laughs> but yeah, stuff like Shantae and the pirates curse on the switch is 1.0.1 return of the Obra Dinn is 1.0.1. So many games that were so close to being finished out the gate that still just needed a little bit of extra time in the oven, which it really makes the, the achievement of having a game come out and stay on version 1.0.0, just all that more impressive. Absolutely. And going into my top pick, my number one game that is still, at least at the time of this recording, Mm -hmm. at 1.0.0, my number one is Bastion from Supergiant Games. Oh, so good. The the debut game from Supergiant Games. Now, obviously, I think I've mentioned this on the show before. I have a pretty deep attachment to that game. Like, I don't know that I'm ever going to be, unless I, like, end up making a game myself one day, I don't know if I'm ever going to be as involved with a game's development from the outside looking in as I was with Bastion. Um, Bastion had a really in-depth behind-the-scenes process where you really felt like as a fan, you you got to see the game being made on the ground floor um, in these early days where Supergiant Games were literally living in just like a, like a small house together making Bastion, you know, and now they've blown up into this massive studio making game of the year contenders, you know, um, mm-hmm. And, and I mean, Hades is, is just an incredible accomplishment, but to, to look back at where it all began with Bastion and to see that game fully formed on Switch, it's still a phenomenal game. I mean, Supergiant has never made a bad game. Um, and, and just like having this personal attachment to it and to see it release and, and when it finally is out on Switch, it is just this perfect crystallized little experience, you know, and again, it's, it's super giant in their nascent stage. It is their, their first game, their debut game, but even from the outset, like this is a studio that has done nothing but gotten better, but they released their first game in fine form coming out on switch has never had to get a patch. So shout out to Bastion. Absolutely love that game. Release Pyre, you cowards. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. I I wish they would because Pyre is another one. Like nobody talks about Pyre. Pyre's really, really good. So yeah, everybody thinks it's the super giant trilogy of Bastion, Transistor, and Hades. No, yeah, there's there is another. Um, So (laughs) insert Yoda voice here. Exactly, little Star Wars Day reference. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, but going into my number one, and man, can I hear the eye rolls now? But I'm not kidding. I'm really not. And ironically enough, this was the game that kind of inspired this whole idea in yeah. the first place because I was astounded that that a, that a that a first party Nintendo game hadn't been patched yet, that it hadn't received multiple content updates and bug patches and bug fixes yet. And even though it wasn't their most even though it wasn't one of their most marquee titles and 
honestly, frankly, it, it almost kind of feels like it was just sent out to die. But yeah, I'm not kidding. I really love it. My number one for realsies is Kirby Fighters 2. Just talked about it last week, right? Just talked about it last week. I, I mean, I can't talk about Smash Brothers. I, I think <laughs> I didn't realize that there was kind of this running thing about me talking about Smash Brothers. Apparently with a couple <laughs> of the Discord members, it's a little bit of a thing. But yeah, uh, it's it's such a it's such a great, especially online game. The online that I've played in that game is absolutely flawless to have an online suite like that fully formed and not need any patches or updates from that regard alone is astounding to me. But for a game that just kind of feels like it was sent out to die for it to be fully formed with no bugs or glitches or anything like that, there was a lot of tender love and care put into this game for Nintendo to just kind of dump it on the, on the curbside of the Nintendo switch. But yeah, it's uh, you've got nearly two dozen different Kirby powers. You've got DDD and Gooey again for some reason, and Magalore and Meta Knight and Bandana Waddle Dee, and a bunch of different stages. And again, that really cool, really fun first player mode that's basically just a Kirby fighter roguelike, right? Which alone is worth the price of admission. I got so many hours of fun out of that. And so many hours of frustration, which is basically the roguelite way. But still, it's just fun. It's just fun in capital letters. I just have a smile on my face every time I boot the game up. I absolutely adore it. Unlocking stuff at a steady clip as you continue to level up. Everything you do in the game gets you experience to level up, to unlock new powers, to unlock new hats, to unlock new. We all found out in Kirby and the Forgotten Land just how addictive simply unlocking new hats can be. But yeah, it's just, it may not be on the same tier as some of other, uh, some of Nintendo's other games, but for what it is, for what it is, for the place that it occupies on the Nintendo Switch, I really can't find any fault at all with it. I think for what it is, it's perfect. I really do. I absolutely adore that game. It's fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and look, again, like you said, that was the genesis behind this idea for the list. So it, it comes full circle once again. So we challenge you guys do you guys know what games you love that are still on version 1.0.0? I bet a couple of them might surprise you if you go check. And if you do, let us know what they are. Find out and let us know what your favorite games still on version 1 that have never been patched, never added any content. Let us know what your favorite Nintendo Switch games are still on version 1. Point oh point oh. Reach out to us on Facebook. Reach out to us on Twitter. Again, join us over on Discord. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And I mean, Discord is has really become, the, the community in general has really become the beating heart of all in. I mean, again, we came into this thing with a fully formed idea of what the show was going to be right from episode one, but we weren't prepared for how much you guys would mean to us and how much you guys would mean to the show. So, I mean, you look at it. I love like you more than Seth does. Well, okay. I mean, <laughs> I'd, I'd fight you on that, but you know what? It's episode 100. We're in the spirit of giving. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we've given away stuff already in this episode. We mm-hmm. have uh, come full circle with Greg coming back from episode one. We've debuted a new uh, intro tune. We have finally produced a top five that we've been wanting to do for a long time. But we thought we would end the show this week with with just a celebration of the show, a celebration of you guys. And uh, we put the call out to the Discord community to do a Q&A, which we haven't done in quite some time. And um, you guys really... You guys brought the juice. You guys brought the juice. I'm just going to say that. Eric, are you ready? You think you're ready to do this? Absolutely. It's episode 100 of All In, a Nintendo podcast. Guys, so we thought it was only right that we end the show by keeping it 100. Well, Eric, here we are approaching the end of the 100th episode of All In, and it's it's honestly been surreal mm-hmm. to... And for a couple, like, little things to me have been surreal about this episode. Not only just, like, all the new stuff we've done and introduced and and everything, but, like, even just little stuff, like, typing 100 into the audio files and stuff. <laughs> like, you know, seeing 100 in the Zencaster room, you know, little stuff has been really weird. Yeah, just, just talking <laughs> to Greg, just I'm flashing back to June 2020. It's been a heck of a ride, man. Thank you for coming on it with me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's been, it has been a journey and it's, it really does feel like we're only just getting started though. Like yep. we, we've been doing this for just under two years now, every single week and a lot of like work and blood, sweat and tears go into this show as you guys hopefully know. Um, but man, like a hundred episodes later, it really does feel like we're just getting started in earnest. And, um, as it turns out, there's been a hundred episodes. You guys had some questions for mm-hmm. us. Yes. <laughs> for the hundredth episode of all in, we definitely wanted to make you guys a big part of this. Since you have been a big part of this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we posed a little query to the all in community this past week. We wanted you guys to let us know what you wanted to know about the past 100 episodes of All In, a Nintendo podcast. We wanted, it was very important to us that we, branding, 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 keep it 100 with you guys today. That's right. So let's get into some of these questions. I got to be honest, you guys were way more real yeah. than I expected. I was <laughs> I was like, man, where are all the fun like little Nintendo questions or whatever? You guys got deep on us, man. I mean, look, I'm here for it. I'm here to have the, the real conversations. You guys had some really serious questions. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, I think it honestly just shows how much people respect the show and respect how much work goes into it and how much of a labor of love that they all know it is. Yeah. So some really introspective questions that I'm excited to get into here. So the first one here comes to us from our friend, John, of course, one of the hosts of the retro logic podcast, as well as the host of on topic retro, um, which I'm actually, I'm going on his show next week to talk uh, donkey Kong 94. So shout out to John Oh, donkey Kong 94. Um, is So good. Oh yeah. Yeah. So John asks, what is the most important thing you have learned since the inception of All End Podcast? Well, for me, it's just honestly how amazing the independent creation community is. It's been very obvious for a number of years that independent creators of media, like this is far and away the greatest time in American, in, in world history to be an independent creator of anything. 
even outside of stuff like games or podcasts, for music, for movies, for whatever you love to do, it has never been a better time to be an independent creator. There are so many tools that you have at your disposal to create whatever you want to create, whatever your passion is, and to get it in front of people, to actually get it out there. Yeah. And yeah, we all kind of, we all knew, but I wasn't really aware of just how great that independent and how uplifting and how, how positive how perpetually positive that environment is. We have so many friends within this community, just, you know, just fellow podcasters and fellow content creators that we know, Mm -hmm. you know, over at RetroLogic and RetroGroup. That's why we keep going back on their shows. We've made so many friends within this space over the past 100 episodes. It's just been, frankly, beautiful to see all the positive feedback that, that we've, gotten and frankly the inspiration that we've been able to be to a few other people yeah yeah we um i think that's a great answer i think it's a great point we so i mean the the great thing about this community in particular with our peers and the space and stuff is like everybody is so collaborative and just like creatively energized and not like there's there's very very little like competitive like like, you know, look out for number one. It's me. It's not you. Everybody's all about lifting each other up. Yeah. And I mean, like it was a big deal for me. I, I say this all the time on the show, a huge inspiration behind starting this show is the Nintendo dads. Mm-hmm. And for Tim to come onto our show and become friends with us and hang out with us for like hours that night that we had him on yeah. early on in this show's run. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it, that's a great example. I think of like, he, he would have been totally justified in being like, what? No, but like he mentioned us, he shouted us out on Nintendo dads after coming on our show. And then that caught the ear of Andros who had just started up Nintendo pals. You know what I mean? And, and like, it just, it spirals from there. And then, yeah, you're talking about people who were inspired by what, uh, with what we were doing, like Phelan, cited us as an inspiration for starting his podcast damage counter Yeah, go check out damage counter about the pokemon tcg yeah which is now its own thing and and like they produce that i think it's a bi-weekly podcast and it's like a good long-form podcast and you know and, and they've, they've been seeing success with that and i like that that is the most gratifying thing about this entire thing for me is like creating things with other people and getting to inspire people, getting to work with people and and facilitating their ability to create whatever they want to create. I say that at the end of every episode of Keep Nintendo Weird. I sign off with create what you want to create. Um, so I would, I would echo that. I think another thing for me, just so I don't steal your answer, is, um, <laughs> <laughs> is true collaboration. Like I've done, I've been podcasting for over 12 years and I have never worked on another project where it was a true collaboration, like where it was actually the other person was putting in just as much as I was into it, you know, creatively, um, actually working together. Like you and I talk every day, you know, yeah. um, and, and we, we talk about the show constantly. The fact, the fact that he hasn't hung up on me out of anger and annoyance. <laughs> and we, and point, we've had... The patient look, of a saint, ladies and gentlemen, the patient of a saint. No, look, we, we've, and that's the thing too, is like, we've had our little creative headbutts and stuff too. Oh, of course. But like, yeah. 
we've we've overcome it and everything and like we we always come out stronger and we don't we don't shy away from having hard conversations with each other when we have to and like i think that that to me is what i appreciate so much about making the show with you because in the past it's always been i was steering the ship i was like the other person didn't really care they just kind of showed up for the recording session like you really do care and so i i think that the most <laughs> important thing that i've learned you know, since the inception of this show is kind of like what it's like to actually work with a true collaborator, not to like crap on, you know, anybody that I've made podcasts with in the past, but it was very different. Like you, I would all in really is 50, 50 you and I creatively. And, uh, and that's been really important for me. So. Yeah. There's about 50 hats that you and I wear between the two of us. And at the yeah. beginning, you know, we've, we've passed a couple hats around occasionally, but right at the beginning, it was very important to us that it was like, okay, I'll take this hat. You can have that hat. I'll take this one. I'll take that one. Then you can have these three. And it was very important to both of us that, that we were kind of 50, 50, uh, on this journey. Yeah. I mean, like, I know I'm the guy in front of the camera and I'm the guy that's all, you know, loud and out there and everything. But all, like Eric is the guy who's, who's fr from the beginning, he was very adamant about like daily social media posts you know, he is like the social media guru behind it all. He often comes up with the theming of the episodes. He often is the one that finds the way to tie everything together. Um, he, Eric's had a lot of like good ideas and stuff. And, and like he's, <laughs> he's, you know, it, it really is. We, we both do bring something to this thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So I like that a lot. Well, thank you for the kind words, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And of course, obviously, the, it takes two to tango and you are a mm -hmm. fantastic dance partner. So, Well, thank you. But our next question comes to us from Shy Guy. Not Shy Guy City. Shy, the new Shy Guy. Shy with an E-I. Yeah. Shy. Shay Guy? Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Let us let know, us in know in the Discord. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let us know. <laughs> Talk about 50-50. All right, our next question <laughs> comes from Shy Guy. Seth, what would it take for you to be completely satisfied and content with All In? That's an interesting question. I think the cop-out answer is like, you're never satisfied. You always want to be better and make more and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's like a... I don't think there's like a cut and dry endpoint to being satisfied and content. I will say that like... We, we don't release something that we aren't satisfied with, you know, like we, we don't release something that is like something that we're ashamed of or something that we're not 100% happy with doing. We, we go to great lengths to making sure that we are all about everything that we're doing every single time. And so I, it, it, it may be a cop out answer, but like, I kind of feel like I'm always satisfied and content with the episode we're making. I've never released an episode and said, ah, I feel like that wasn't a good one. Like every episode we've ever put out, I, I I have felt really strongly about, and um, you know, but but then at the at the same time, it's like you you always want to be working towards that next thing, you know. And for me, it's not that I don't think we put out great content. I do think we put out great content, but you know, uh, because of it's you know Star Wars week, you know, obviously. True. Uh, once again, may the fourth be with you, Seth. But may the fourth be with you. I saw a John Williams interview this past week that really resonated with me personally. And the interviewer asked him if he ever was able to step back and just 
you know, take in the scope of all this amazing stuff that he's done. And John Williams said, you know, that's not how I look at it. You know, I'm proud of everything I've done. But one of the biggest things I look at, you know, I always see the little things that maybe could have been better things that I work on for next time, little lessons that I take away for my next project. And not that I'm going to try to compare myself in terms of the scope of my career yet to someone like John Williams. But that's honestly (laughs) that's honestly kind of the, the, the approach that I take. You, Seth and I are incredibly meticulous. Not a single one of these past 100 episodes have been slapdash, have just been thrown together. We've been, we've come up against a deadline a few times, but we yeah. have never let that dictate the content of our show. We have never released something that we weren't happy with. That being said, I, you, I'm always going to chase that kind of elusive, perfect you know, piece of content, that elusive, perfect episode. I'm always going to try to see if I can do something better every time. I'm never going to be content necessarily. I'm always going to try to be better. And I would encourage that. I would encourage that people remove content from their vocabulary. If you're trying to achieve something. I think that's a good point. Yeah. I think there's a fine balance to strike between, um, but between being happy with what you're doing and being satisfied with what you're doing and also like having an unreachable kind of standard of like this, you know, I'm, I'm always chasing, I'm always wanting this to grow and be better. I think there's a fine line to the fine balance to strike there. Yeah. The short answer is you're never going to be perfect, but you should always try to be. That's my personal yeah. creative uh, kind of mantra that I go for. Yeah. And that, and there's, and you know, and there's, there's perfection and imperfections too. There's, you know, it's, it's not a black and white. Um, I, I don't think creativity is a black and white thing like that. You know, you always, always strive for, for betterness. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for the question. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Shy guy or, or Shay guy. Shay guy. Uh, again, let us know. <laughs> let us know what it is. Um, so this comes from Presto the Magnificent, another, um, a newer member. Newish. Yeah, newish member of the of the community who's uh, who's been great. Um, been tuning into a lot of Twitch streams and whatnot. So mm-hmm. hi, Presto. Presto asks, "What is your favorite food and least favorite food?" My favorite food, you know, for the longest time when I was a young child, I just always said lasagna. I loved lasagna <laughs> back when I was a kid. I know you, Mister Italian. I I, I get it. Uh, I love love lasagna but i have come to find out that i don't think that's my favorite anymore and i have been soul searching for so long and i haven't really been able to find a concrete new answer Mm. i i i i don't know if it's steak i don't know if i should just say pizza or burgers if you were going to twist my arm there's a joint in Clarksville, Tennessee. Still love my old hometown. There's a joint in Clarksville, Tennessee called Johnny's Big Burger. It's phenomenal. I know exactly what you're going to say. This is what I thought you were going to say. Yep. In terms of food or in terms of dessert, Johnny's mm-hmm. has both. Johnny's is the best burger and fries that I've ever had in my life. If you ever find yourself in Clarksville, Tennessee, Stop by Johnny's Big Burger. I promise you will not be disappointed. And after you finish that burger and fries, 
It's the simplest thing in the world. I know it is, but I have never tasted something so immaculately simple as a honey bun, a grilled honey bun with ice cream. <laughs> I, I have heard the, the legend of the, the griddled honey bun with ice cream from Johnny's Big Burger many times. <laughs> so I, I knew that was going to be your answer. <laughs> it's I, I, I call it the church with a couple of my friends. Like genuinely, <laughs> that's how good I think Johnny's is. Uh, but in terms of least favorite, probably also another toss-up between spinach and green olives. Sorry oh, for all wow. you spinach and green olive lovers out there. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. This is so this is so so funny. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so my favorite food is my mom's lasagna. Like always has been, That's always will amazing. be. Specifically, my mom's lasagna. I can't make it the same way. I can make the exact same recipe. It's not the same. Um, my mom's made lasagna the exact same way. It's like a, a t- typical Italian family recipe sort of thing. Um, there, there's just something about my mom's lasagna. If I were on death row, final meal, whatever, it would be my mom's <laughs> lasagna. Um, I have a lot of favorite foods. Like I love pizza. Everybody loves pizza. I love um, I love Indian food. I love curry. Um, I love Japanese food. You know, I, I love a lot of food. You you don't you don't get the body that I have without loving food. Um, but yeah, preach. <laughs> but my mom's lasagna is is always going to be my favorite. Um, in terms of least favorite, though, it's so funny you bring up spinach. I have a huge aversion to boiled spinach specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I can actually eat raw spinach, like in a salad. I'm fine with that. But boiled spinach, and I actually know where it comes from. So, <laughs> this is really dumb and funny. But the, the you remember Goosebumps used to make the the live action versions of their movies yeah. and uh, yeah, other of books. So the one for Stay Out of the Basement or Don't Go into the Basement or whatever it's called, where the big plot twist is that their dad is like being taken over by like a plant like a mutant plant or whatever. Like you do. And he's been growing it in the basement. Like you do. Um, there's a scene in the live action version of that book where the dad is trying to feed them plant food. And it just look, it just is boiled spinach. Like he, he just like slops it down into their bowl. <laughs> and it's just, and ever since watching that, it has left a scar on my brain. And like, I used to like it. Like when I was younger, I used to like boiled spinach until I watched that. Now I cannot stomach it. My parents tried to force me to eat it one time because they thought I was just being like a brat and I, I threw up. Like I can't do it. So anyway, yeah, boiled spinach. <laughs> I had such negative reactions to the taste of spinach back when I was a kid that I honestly thought I was allergic to it. I just, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, to this day, it's just like, why do humans consider that food? I don't get it. Yeah, it's well, it's plant food. Goosebumps told us it's plant exactly, food. exactly. <laughs> but going on to the next question, here's another real one. After 100 episodes, how do you stay all in to keep putting in the work to make such a great podcast? From Chris HL94. I do appreciate the branding there, Chris. Thank mm-hmm. you for that. <laughs> he even spelled it all in. Look, you even spelled yes. it correctly in the question. Oh, yes. Yeah, we appreciate that, Chris. Um, yeah, Chris is a great guy. And if, if NHL 94 ever comes to the Nintendo Switch, like <laughs> everybody needs to thank Chris HL 94 if and when that ever happens. Because um, he's been championing that for literal years now. 
Um, I'm convinced if it ever does happen, it will just have emerged from the void specifically just to appease him. <laughs> yeah, like it man. won't actually be published. It won't be created. It'll just somehow appear one day on store. It'll shelves. manifest. It'll form. Yeah. So, uh, how, basically the question is like, how do you stay motivated? I guess, right. After hundred episodes. Um, yeah. and, and for me, like it, it, the, the, the right answer is, is just the easy one. It's just like, I just really like doing it. Like I put in the work, I work hard on it because it's fun. Like I enjoy doing it. I enjoy all of the process of it. You know, there, there are days I have good days and bad days. There are days where you get really burnt out, especially mm-hmm. cause I do the editing of the show and, and it's a long show. So like, there's a lot of editing. I do a lot of production on the show and like there are days where it's like mind numbing and like you're sick of looking at your computer screen and stuff. But like the act of making it is the important part. Like if, if we didn't have fun making it, we wouldn't be making it, you know? Um, and so I, I think that's the motivation is just like, it's, it's really fun. And like getting to put a completed episode out there for you guys to listen to and engage with and pop into the discord and talk about like, that is the best feeling. Like that, the best feeling is to make something and know that you guys are out there listening to it and enjoying it. That's the motivation for me. Uh, for me, a lot of that is, is also true. And I, I mean, I get so burnt out as well. I spend so much mm-hmm. time playing games. I mean, because I love them, but I, I spend so much, I've spent so much more time on my switch since we started doing this show because, you know, so I can talk intelligently and we can talk from firsthand experience about all the things that, that are out there. That's incredibly important to me. It's incredibly important to Seth to be able to have as much firsthand knowledge as possible for you guys. So we're not just a couple of talking heads up there regurgitating stuff that other people have said. So I spend a ton of time on my Nintendo switch to the point where, yeah, just like I said, this past week, I've, I've, taken a little bit of a break this past week from from a lot of the games yeah but in order to to stay all in we've already kind of touched on it a little bit but one of the biggest ways one of the 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 ways that makes this easy for me is the fact that i have somebody who's just as driven as me counting on me to do my part because i have a partner who is relying on me to do everything that I need to do to make what we are doing together a success. This was not something we started as some half-baked plan. We are doing everything. Like, again, the plan is to make this eventually self-sufficient. The plan is yeah. to become, for this to become a profession and a job and for this to get as big as we can possibly make it. And I have somebody that I owe my work to to help make that happen. It's so hard sometimes to go to the gym when it's just you because you're not accountable to anybody. But if you have a gym buddy, somebody who's, you know, somebody who's going to help hold you accountable for that stuff, it makes it so much easier. And not that I wouldn't do this if Seth wasn't here, but knowing that I'm accountable to him and knowing that I'm helping him succeed and that conversely, if I wasn't doing everything that I could, that he might not have succeeded, certainly not to the level he is right now. Sure. And knowing that that's my position, knowing that that's my responsibility, that's a responsibility that I take very seriously. And it makes staying all in an incredibly easy decision for me. Yeah. Well said. I completely agree. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's the perfect summation. All N is our gym time. There exactly. <laughs> I, although although to be completely fair, you and I could both spend a few more time oh, inside please. of an actual gym. <laughs> please tell me about it. Yeah. All right, but our next question comes from Spider Shan. Shout out to Spider Shan. We love Spider Shan, and they ask, "What is the most challenging part of doing all N each week, and what is the most rewarding?" Hmm. The most, I mean, the most rewarding part is just having that finished episode for all the, you know, a little peek behind the curtain for those few of you who aren't aware. We don't tape this show. We don't record this show in three hour chunks uh, no, any, anymore, at least. No, we, we typically <laughs> yeah. do segment by segment. And then Seth magically edits everything together to make us all sound like we did record these in incredibly grueling three hour uh, segments. <laughs> Uh, so, but just seeing all of that come together at the end of each week into this seamless, really well-produced, cohesive episode, that's incredibly rewarding. Uh, but the hardest part can actually kind of vary week to week, depending on what we're doing. There are some main segments like this. We didn't have to prepare a single moment for this. We're just answering your guys' questions. But if we're doing something like a retrospective or if we're doing a developer interview, there's obviously a ton of research and, you know, behind the scenes stuff that goes into making sure those go off without hitch and to making sure that we sound halfway intelligent. Yes, Seth and I have been doing this our entire lives and we have decades of actual experience, you know, for both of us, we have decades of actual experience. But yeah, we still do a lot of research and we still look things up and we still go and try to find as much as we possibly can to make each segment as worthy of your time as it can possibly be. Some of the some of the top fives we've done have been incredibly grueling research mm-hmm. tasks. There are quite a few top fives that we are the only creators on the internet who have done those top fives. So those are always really fun, but also grueling and hard to put together. So honestly, for each week, it can it can really vary depending on what the most challenging part of each week is. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that, I mean, like editing, editing the show is hard, yeah. you know, like that, that requires a lot of time, like for a standard two and a half, three episode of All In, uh, three and a half, the two and a half to three hour episode of All In, I mean, you're talking about probably at minimum 10 to 15 hours that I have to spend editing it, you know? Mm-hmm. So like it, you know, that that's hard. Um, and it can be mind numbing sometimes, but for me, yeah, it changes week to week. Like there are weeks where like you and I, especially to find like um, a through line, like theming yeah. for an all in episode. Sometimes I mean, just the two minute intro was the hardest part of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes that's the hardest part. I mean, sometimes you and I will typically, like, towards the beginning of the week, you and I will sit in a Discord call for three, four, five hours sometimes trying to just (laughs) put our heads together and figure out what we're doing that week. Like, how are we going to build it this week? Right. Like, sometimes it's really difficult. Um, And then sometimes, too, because we are, we try to be topical as well. Like, it's a lot of plates to spin. So, sometimes it's like, well, you know, crap, we might have this idea. But what if a Nintendo Direct gets announced this week or whatever, you know? So sometimes trying to stay on top of that is also really challenging. Um, To say nothing of, yeah, when you're having to coordinate with guests and reaching out to people and, you know, actually covering the games. I mean, there's a lot of challenging. This is not an easy job. Um, 
but it is incredibly rewarding and and I agree it's it's really great to have the final episode kind of all put together and 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 throw it out there and and yeah I mean just to go back to what I said with the last question like to 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 have you guys engage with what we're making is the most rewarding thing for sure to see those comments in the discord and see those comments on social media saying, Hey, I just listened to this and wow, what a great, I completely agree with this. Oh, you guys are going to make me spend all my money on all these amazing indie (laughs) games you're talking about. And to hear that, you know, people are sharing their podcast with their mom. That's so great. That's so great. Thank you. Yeah, that was awesome. (laughs) So a very hard show to make, but a very rewarding show to make. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, here's a fun one, Seth. Which first-party Nintendo Switch game do you feel doesn't get enough recognition from Presto the Magnificent? Hey again, Presto. Um, so this is a tough one. First-party Nintendo Switch game oh, God, that I feel I like mine. doesn't get in. Oh, really? What's yours? Arms. Oh, well, yeah. That's, yeah. I might just have to steal that, honestly, because, like, ARMS really is the best example of this I can think of. Like, on Nintendo Switch, ARMS is so good, you guys. I get why some people don't like it, because it's so rooted in motion controls, and it is kind of weird. It is such a unique style fighting game, and I'm not just saying this because I am, yes, the all-in fighting game guy, but we're talking about the same team that did Mario Kart 8. This is the same team. The... I mean, the visuals, I mean, the game still looks fantastic. It plays like an absolute dream. If you don't like the motion controls, the way the game plays, I do understand. But it still blows my mind. It really blows my mind that that game didn't catch fire. Not everything Nintendo's going to do is going to be amazing. Obviously, you know, we talked about in the news. But it's, I mean, just from a design standpoint, it's so ridiculous ridiculously impressive that I'm kind of surprised we don't already have arms three. Yeah. And like it did well, like it sold like 2 million copies, but like in the switch era, that's not enough. You know what I mean? So yeah, like I, I I would agree with arms. I'll shout this out because this is a switch exclusive that um, it's not made by Nintendo. So it's not like truly first party, but um, it is a switch exclusive astral chain. Um, Yeah. I think Astral Chain is really, really, really good. Um, And a lot of people don't talk about Astral Chain anymore. That's like, I mean, Platinum makes a lot of really good games. Astral Chain is probably like, it's it's up there. Like, I I really do love that game. And uh, more people should talk about that game. Yeah, and whenever somebody mentions Astral Chain, I always kind of immediately, like I have that and Damon X Machina occupy the same space in my mind for some reason. So I think they came out right around the same time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that was also kind of an underrated game. I'm not saying it's phenomenal. I'm not saying it was game of the year, but it came out and was just immediately forgotten. And I don't think it deserved that. It was good enough to get some spirits in Smash Ultimate. Yeah. Yeah. And so is Astral Chain. You know, like they they, they have their mm-hmm. little bit of recognition, but y'all, y'all should play those games. They're good games. Um, okay. So we've got a big one from our friend Solo Something. Um, so Solo asks, doing a podcast, do you feel at times you spend more time working on being a podcast creator about gaming and less time being a gamer? Do you feel maintaining a Discord presence at the same time as podcasting slash streaming to sometimes not leave time just for yourself? Well, for those people uh, who who are part of our Discord community, uh, you 
probably have seen firsthand how hard it is for me to maintain a Discord presence. I'm not in there nearly <laughs> sure. as much as I would like. I do I do read a bunch of it, and thank you guys for being such amazing members of the Discord community. Uh, I do try to get in there, pop in there, and, and speak when I can. Yeah. Uh, but between working on the podcast and, uh, again, I still have an incredibly demanding full-time job and, you know, several other familial responsibilities that I have. I have so much going on in my, even outside, like I, I have so much going on in my life that even not being in a relationship, I still have precious little time to myself. But one of the great things about working on this podcast is it allows me, it allows the Venn diagram of being a creator and pursuing my passion of playing video games, it allows for a lot of overlap there. Mm-hmm. So I, I do it in my mind because I'm doing it for the show, but I'm still doing it and I still love to do it. I still love playing games. I've been doing it again for 35 years of my own life at this point. But being able to do it and being able to have something that I can create with it, have a positive, productive focus that I can channel all that energy into after I've played the games, that has meant a lot to me personally. So that's kind of, when it comes to my time and my schedule, it's just having that overlap between you know, creating something like this podcast, but being able to overlap that with all this, the time I spend playing games that's how I justify all that. Yeah, for me, um, the 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 sort of like work life balance has always been a struggle for me. I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I I go all in, <laughs> you know, on on mm-hmm. this stuff, and it's been a struggle. I've I've had to make you know boundaries and stuff like that. Especially now, I'm trying to kind of find that balance again now. Now that I'm doing this full time and everything, and um, there's there's just like you, like I have familial stuff that's constantly happening. I'm you know try to be a good husband, <laughs> try to try to be a good son and a good friend to people and try not to like ignore people's texts when they send them and stuff, you know, and like sometimes <laughs> it's hard. So, um, cause sometimes you're just like locked in. I'm like working on a video or something. And my, my friend who's like completely removed from all this stuff, texts me about, you know, the hockey game or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'll get to that later. And next thing you know, it's been three months. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, yeah. I, I definitely have that, that problem. And I'm, I, I struggle to find the balance sometimes, um, discord in particular is an interesting one. I try to stay as active as I can on discord, but it is also really nice. Like I'm definitely like the all in discord is the one that I'm most active in because like it's our discord. Of course. Um, I, I definitely feel like I'm not as active in the other discords that I'm in. I'm in a ton of them and I try to like engage with a bunch of different communities cause I really do like the people in the Nintendo pals community, the people in the Nintendo dads and retro logic communities. And like, I'm in their discords too, but I'm not in there nearly as much as, as all in. So, you know, it is hard to spin all those plates. If I am summoned, if somebody tags me in one of those discords, then yeah, of course I'll get in there and I'll engage and, and blah, blah, blah. I love all you guys, you know, don't get me wrong. Love those people in those communities. A lot of those people have come over into our community Right. So, you know, I much love to everybody, but yeah, I, I do kind of keep it locked to the all in discord server. Also, 
one one thing that's kind of gratifying for me is to see you guys having your own conversations in the discord that like I don't necessarily feel the need to get involved with because it's just between like a handful of people and I'm not really in it or whatever. That's always kind of cool to me to see that you guys are a community together um, independent of my involvement. Yeah, the Discord is there not just for you guys to interact with us, but uh, again, we call it a community. It's not just a buzzword. It's what we want yeah. to create with this. We want you guys to to be friends. We want you to find people who have other like-minded interests, who have other uh, games that you love. We want you all to bond within our community as much as you bond with us. I'm sorry I'm not in there as much as... Seth, but I, I promise if you tag me, I if you summon me, I shall appear. So I, <laughs> I do want to interact with you guys. I absolutely want to interact with all you guys. If you tag me, I promise I will answer. And I promise moving forward, I will I will try to be I will try to find the time. I will find the time. I won't try. You know, we're still in Star Wars week. Do or do not. Do there or is do no not. Try. <laughs> I respect that. I respect I will, that. Yeah, I will hard, be dude. more active in the Discord, especially for you guys. With as much support as you've given us over the past hundred episodes, you deserve it. I hear you, man. It's it can be tough. It can be tough. So, um, and then yeah, like um, the the work life balance between like spending time being a content creator and being a gamer. I agree with you. I like that it is kind of a Venn diagram. I like that it's like, hey. Um, I really want to play Xenoblade, so that's what I'm streaming. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like I do, I do try to make those kind of ends meet. You know, with my personal life and with the content creator life. So yeah, I mean, Seth and I were, were we were probably going to be playing all the first party Nintendo games anyway, and we were probably <laughs> going to be diving headfirst into all of these amazing indie games anyway. But the show gives us an outlet for all that energy. You know, once we've been hyped up and once we've you know all that positive awesome gaming energy of five red bulls and you know baja blasts and right yeah you know, it gives us an outlet to help spread all that positivity it's actually uh our friend sean capri said something on one of his podcasts that i was listening to recently that really resonated with me he was like how did people even talk how did we even talk about games before we started podcasting about them like, like, what, like, when did that switch happen? I don't even remember what it was like to just like talk about games before, before it was in front of a microphone podcasting, you know? I, I, I think people <laughs> did it in person, like being able to see each other's Whoa. faces. Whoa. I know, Imagine so that. Weird. It's so strange. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of all these games that, you know, we were going to play anyway, there's a few games that we might not have gotten to anyway, because we have a question here from Shy Guy City, not Shy Guy, not Shy Guy, but Shy Guy <laughs> City. Here is a softball for you. When's the Hypnospace Outlaw Indie Showcase? Oh, thank, man. He wants, us, for he wants us to cover. I was going to say, he wants us to cover that game so bad, man. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. We do absolutely we love it. When you guys recommend games to us, we absolutely love when you guys recommend games to us. We've done indie showcases in the past based off of fan, uh, based off of fan recommendations. That's why yeah. we did the Katana Zero indie showcase back in the day. I that's always been one that's been on the the utmost peripheral of my uh, of my gaming vision, but it's always been one like I was on. I think I am 8-bit. I am 8-bit or fan gamer has it available in physical condition. And I hovered over it today. I nearly bought it today. But 
It's, it's just one of those things where we have so many games on our plate. There's so many amazing games out there. But if you guys feel that strongly about something, I have no problem uh, playing a game recommended by our amazing community. So maybe it's something we have to get on very shortly, Seth. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, yeah, I've owned Hypnospace Outlaw actually for a little while based on Shy Guy's, uh, rec- Shy Guy City's recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it like happened to be on sale. I bought it for, I think, like $3 or something like that. So we, we should get to it very soon. I um, Another thing that I do want to stress, too, is that when we started this show, we worried that we wouldn't be able to yeah. do an indie showcase every week. <laughs> um, and that has not been a problem even once, not even close to being a problem. There are genuinely dozens if not hundreds of more indie games that are available just on the nintendo switch that are worthy of an indie showcase we i mean there's so many games to cover we're like basically never going to run out we live in an amazing time for independent games so yeah we it it really is an embarrassment of riches but yeah hypnospace outlaw it has been officially requested by shy guy city we we will move it up the queue (laughs) but i mean when you have six or seven games releasing literally every day on your platform, one a week has got to be worth talking about. Yeah. There's just so much like and quality stuff too. Like, like one, one of the things I'm really proud of, of with the indie showcase is that we're able to highlight really special games that not everybody else is highlighting. Um, the last friend, we haven't done a full indie showcase on that game yet, but to be able to talk about a game like The Last Friend and have people in the Discord being like, oh man, yeah, like I bought it because you guys talked about it and it's really, really good and nobody else is talking about it. Like that is so rewarding. And 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 that's what is so, I mean, the Indie Showcase has been a crucial part of the show's DNA from minute one. And, um, and yeah, absolutely. We want to cover all of this stuff eventually. Yeah, so. so much so that there's actually a couple games that we have technically planned indie showcases for since before we recorded episode one. There's actually yeah. games that we were talking about, including in the indie showcase before we even recorded our first episode that we haven't even gotten to yet. That's how saturated the indie market has been the past couple of years. Yep. And it's also weird, too, because like sometimes you brush up against like, is it, you know, it depends on things like theming and when is a good time to cover this game or that game or this game versus that game? Or like, is it interesting for us to do an indie showcase on, say, like Shovel Knight? Because who doesn't know what Shovel Knight is? Exactly. You know, all of that stuff factors in. I think Hypnospace Outlaw is a clear candidate for an indie showcase and, and we should both uh, play it very soon and, and cover it. For uh, for our friend Shy Guy City, who's just on the show, by the way. So shout outs to him. Shout outs to our friend Matt. Yeah, definitely check out last episode, episode 99. We did a full 30-year retrospective on Kirby. We were joined by Matt. Thank you very much, Matt. You were a blast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and going from Shy Guy City to back to Shy Guy, or the other Shy Guy, um, what is a game that is objectively bad but you love it anyway. You know, for me, when it comes to the Nintendo Switch, I run, it's not on the Nintendo Switch. It's not even a Nintendo game, but the first game that I always think about whenever this comes up is Bullet Witch on the Xbox 360. That was such a oh, okay. terrible, terrible game, but I probably beat it like seven times. It wasn't, even because, it wasn't even because I thought the main 
character was like that was the whole allure quote unquote of the game was the main character was supposed to be sexy i didn't even really find her that sexy there was just something about the it was just some stupid arcade but okay that wasn't nintendo we're talking about nintendo when it comes to the nintendo switch a game that is objectively bad but i love it anyway that's got to be a boy in his blob Mm, okay the a boy in his blob was recently released on the nintendo switch it was a port of the wii version which was itself kind of a remake slash port of the NES version of A Boy in His Blob. And I can't vouch. I always wanted to play it on the Nintendo Wii, but I was never able to get around to it. But we got it on the Nintendo Switch last year from way forward. And uh, for those who remember hearing me talk about it, that game crashed on me 12 or 13 times within the 12 or 13 hour runtime of the title. So yes, that game crashed on me once an hour about. So when it comes to objective lack of quality, I'd say that qualifies. And even on top of that, there were some of the power-ups that the the blob could get. Some of them just did not control well at all. But ultimately, there's still a ton of charm with the game. It was $15.00. There's four really big worlds, a lot of extra hidden stuff that you could find. The hand-drawn art style was fantastic and had just a ton, a ton of personality behind it. There was a bunch of behind-the-scenes footage where you saw a lot of the stuff they used IRL to really nail down how the blob and how the boy was going to look. The lead artist actually used his own son, even put a backpack on his own son uh, (laughs) to use as kind of a proxy for the little boy. But it's just, oh, it's so adorable. And there's just so much I really, really like about the game. But it's incredibly hard to recommend because some of the gameplay fallbacks and the bosses are incredibly frustrating. Far more frustrating than they need to be. So because of that, because some of the weirdly controlling powers and because of the fact that since the game crashed on me 12 or 13 times, they haven't patched it yet. So that's probably a problem that's still in there. Maybe that's just Mm. me. Hopefully it doesn't happen to anybody else. But there's still a part of me that really loves that game. I'm still so happy I got to play it, despite all the very objective shortcomings. Yeah, so I've got two answers to this as well. Um, My first one with the Nintendo Switch um, is probably No More Heroes 3. Um, Oh. Like... I have a real problem with like objectively bad, like the the game has got objective, like shortcomings. Sure. Like there are things about it that are like the frame rate is subpar. You know what I mean? Like the open world is, is like empty and stuff like that. Like they, there are definitely objective flaws with the game, but I also don't think that games should be as black and white as that. Like that's, that's a big reason why we don't score games when we review them because we can talk about games in their individual parts or whatever, but like, I mean, there's been several situations like No More Heroes 3 where it's like, in spite of all of this, the, you know, you, you have to also take these things into account. There is something here that is better than the sum of its parts. There is something here that is, that, that transcends something as, you know, mechanical as frame rate or whatever. Like No More Heroes 3, there are parts of that game that literally look like a Wii game, you know, on the switch, <laughs> like for sure. I, I can't, you know, I can't defend that, but it's also 
That game let me see and do things I've never seen or done before. That game had my jaw on the floor the entire time I played it. Has the best combat in the series. Like that, I love, love, love that game. It would have been in my personal top five of last year. Um, like definitely one of my favorite games of last year. I, I adored it. But it does have some, you know, some shortcomings that people would consider objectively bad. But the game is so much more than that. Um, my most famous example of this, though, and I've talked about this on the show before, is Superman sixty four. <laughs> um, I genuinely love Superman sixty four. I'm the guy. I don't guy think he does. Genu- I just think he's taking the piss. No, like I'm not. I I genuinely love Superman sixty four, and I'll tell you what. Like, that game is not good, right? Like, if, if there's ever an objectively bad game, that's probably it. If you look up objectively bad video game, it's probably Superman 64, right? But when that game came out, and I was a kid playing on an N64, like, I loved it. Like, it let me fly around in whatever bad rudimentary way as Superman. And it looked like the Superman cartoon that I loved, that Bruce Tim art style. And, like, I loved it. And I like, I even going back and looking at it today, I can't help but look at it fondly with, with those nostalgia. I, I couldn't sit down probably and play through it today, but I can't help, but at least in some weird nostalgic way, love Superman 64. That's, that's my cross to bear. (laughs) It's your, oh, we feel so bad for you, Seth. (laughs) And it's, I, I've caught so much so much crap for that over the years and I've had to defend Superman 64 and it's that's a really good example of what I was just talking about like I can't defend it it's just a (laughs) feeling like I just loved it like when I was a kid I just it let me be Superman that was enough for me I mean video games are art and the way you react to art isn't objective it's subjective you know so one thing that I love is going to be different from something that somebody else loves. Something that I see as good might be something that somebody else sees as bad, you know? So like the, like the live action Super Mario brothers movie from 1993. Right. I love that movie. And yeah, there I do are too. other people that don't, you know what I mean? But anyway, thank you for the question. Uh, I think that's a good one. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that, <laughs> that's my long winded way of saying no more heroes three slash Superman 64. Nice. Nice. Well, I think we've got time for one last question. And this one actually comes to us from our friend, Dan Caparello. Dan over at RetroLogic. Where do you see All In in 10 years? Dan coming at us with this question. He's the first one to leave that question, by the way. And we had to save it for last because, I mean, it's just the natural ending point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just, a, just a great question to end on. So thank you, Dan. Um, Dan, I, I love that dude and, um, shout out to his podcast. We've both been on there. Definitely support RetroLogic. Um, where do I see all in in 10 years? It's, it's an interesting question because like in 10 years, right. You and I are going to be like in our mid to late forties <laughs> and we'll be knocking on fifties door. You know what I mean? And And if we're somehow still doing the show, we'll be nearing episode 600. That's what I'm saying. Like that's 10 years is a long, long, long time. Right. Um, However, uh, I I go back to there's a song, a Porter Robinson song off of his new album, which I never shut up about. And I I talked about, you know, how I was on retro groove talking Porter Robinson and stuff. So, you know, I'm going to talk about Porter Robinson a little bit more. 
Um, the song Musician off of his new album is all about this. It's all about pursuing your dreams and in spite of everything telling you not to, to just go for it and and take it on. And yes, it's going to be hard. And like, yes, there's going to be everything in your mind saying, shouldn't you grow up? Shouldn't you get a real job? Blah, blah, blah. Like it's it's about pursuing it in spite of all that. And towards the end of the song, there's a line that says, and I know it doesn't last, but I don't mind anymore you know, and that's kind of where I'm at with it, where if we're not doing all in in 10 years, I mean, I don't know. I would like to, I, you know, I, I love doing this stuff. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Who knows what happens in 10 years? I know that you and I both want to grow this as big as we can. We've said it before. We'll say it again. The the goal is for this to be like our full-time job. We would love to have like a studio one day and come to, come to work and like have like a team and stuff. Like we want to take this as big as we can make it. Yeah. That's, Um, that's where I see all in in 10 years is like Nintendo life levels of I've, I want to continue to build the brand of all in until it is the the most notable the most well-recognized and well-respected source of nintendo content basically on the internet and maybe even more than that yeah and 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 i mean like that's that's definitely the goal but at the same time when you're doing anything creative you never know what's going to happen you never know when that bubble is going to burst and you have to be at a place of acceptance with that when people are having their careers on like youtube or whatever like that's not the kind of job that you have like a 401k and you're you know and (laughs) you're like retiring from and you're filing medical insurance does youtube offer right you know what i mean like creative fields like this have a lot of risk A, a ton of reward but a ton of risk also um and i and i think you have to just that that kind of comes with the territory and the the big differentiating factor is that like yeah like i know that it can't last forever but i don't mind like i'm just having so much fun doing it and i want to make this as big as it can possibly be in 10 years 15 years whatever like no matter where it ends up i'm just like so happy with making it and so creatively charged with everything we're doing. Like I said, at the beginning, we're only just getting started. I like, I've never been more creatively charged by this show and everything that we're, we have planned and everything that we're making than I am right now. Um, so we have our goals. We have a place that we'd like to be in 10 years, but I'm here for wherever it goes. I'm just, I just love making it. I am too. You and I are, I mean, we, we started this knowing that we were going to be in this for the long haul. We didn't start the yeah. saying, hey, let's just do three episodes and see where it goes. No, we both started this knowing that we were going to work to make this as big as possible. That was one of the first conversations we had is if we're going to do this, let's do this. Let's commit to this. And yep. Seth and I are both still 100% committed. I think we, Yep. I'm. you know, I don't, try to toot my horn that much but i think we've proven that a few times a few dozen times over the past 100 episodes so i mean just just stay on this roller coaster with us we are going to keep riding it as long as we possibly can we are going to try to keep giving you guys amazing episodes week in and week out this is not the end for us by any stretch of the imagination we've got amazing guests already lined up for you for the next few weeks we are continuing to roll this train does not stop this is a very important stop along the course along the tracks 
but the the railroad by no means stops here. Yeah, not at all. This is this really again, it really does feel like this is just the beginning. We're in the triple digits, huge milestone, of course. Have to acknowledge the big milestones and, and take a look back, and, and that's super important. But I mean, looking forward, it's like that this thing keeps on rolling, man. We continue to work on it every single day. Yeah. Well, man, what a what a ride it's already been, though. It's been at man, getting to talk to just amazingly talented people like, you know, Sean Shiplock and of course, Greg and having, you know, the voice of Bowser, Kenny James for our 35th anniversary Mario uh, extravaganza and so many incredibly talented people like Barry Carinza and Sean Capri and Dan and, and all of our friends within the podcasting community and so many of the amazing independent developers like Rasmus Jensen over at Bulwark Games and, you know, our friends over at Horus and just so many amazingly talented people that we have had the ability to talk to and so many stupid, silly top fives that we have been (laughs) able to give you guys and so many really cool retrospectives that we have been able to passionately look back on with you guys and so much more that we have done over the past 100 episodes. And I cannot wait for next week's episode so we can start doing it all over again. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so proud of, of what we've built and I've never been more like you, you would think a lot of people are like a hundred episodes, like woof, like you're in the triple digits. You got to be sick of this thing by now. But like, I, I'm not just saying it. Like I genuinely have never been more creatively charged and excited to do what we're doing than I am right now. Um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's been crazy. It's been crazy, but it's, it's, like we we've got so much more room to grow. Yeah. Because it hasn't just been 100 episodes. It's been 100 straight weeks. Yep. Not one weekend has gone by since June 2020 that you have not gotten a brand new full-length episode of All in a Nintendo podcast. We have not taken holiday breaks. We have not taken we could have very easily taken a few breaks over the course of the past 100 episodes both same seth people and I, do both <laughs> yeah, exactly both seth and i had a couple very good reasons to take yeah. uh, a break a few times but we are that committed to this show and that committed to giving quality content to you guys so there was a again, literal hurricane and we ex- still made a podcast exactly yes so <laughs> so there you go There you go, guys. Thank you so much for coming on this 100 episode journey with us. Let's start it all over again next week for the next 100 episodes. But what have been your favorite moments over the past 100 episodes of All In? Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast, on Twitter at All In Podcast. Join the conversation. Join our community Mm -hmm. over on discord check out twitch.tv slash all in podcast youtube.com slash all in podcast and of course of course the podcast itself 100 episodes strong and still going baby you can follow us everywhere you get your podcast from itunes google play spotify anchor all the places and if you like what you have heard over the past 100 episodes 
Guys, you know what you can do? You can you can drop some words on iTunes, on Podchaser, and on Audible. You can leave us a written five-star review that can get shouted out here at the very beginning of the episode. And if you're on Spotify, if you listen to the show on Spotify, you can leave us a five-star rating. And we super appreciate it. That is the best way we have to, uh, to grow the show and get the show in front of more eyes. So uh, more eyes and ears. So we super, super appreciate your support. Yeah, and once again, thank you to the Red Panda for our brand new yes. theme. Thank you, thank you so much. Sounds fantastic. Guys, we have so much work ahead of us. This is just the beginning. We have so much to do, and we will catch you back here next week for a brand new episode of All In, a Nintendo podcast. After 100 episodes, I am still... Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Erics. And of course, I am still Seth, the hero of time. We love you all very much. A hundred down, many, many, many more to go. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.